Welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 30. We have finally made it to three decades worth of episodes. It's only taken three and a half years. So it's had episodes-ish a year, a little less than that. But, you know, that's the pace we're on, Willie. How are we doing? We got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. We're not going to waste any time getting straight into it. So I will let me. I'll, I'll actually, I'll open up the podcast with a question to you on. Yeah. Do you do you think that do you think that uh, Michael Jordan and Michael B. Jordan think about being what would it be like to be the other one? <laughs> Who would you rather be out of the two? Are these your two AM thoughts? I, oh about my it, God. Man. I think it's a real question. Who would you rather be, Michael Jordan or Michael B. Jordan? I don't know. Honestly, I'd be. I'd rather be Michael B. Jordan. Uh, I don't know. I, like it's 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 hard to it's hard to compare the two because number one they do two completely different things and they live in different eras. But uh, I I see the appeal of being both, obviously. But I would rather be myself. Just you know, literally everyone else is taking. Not to be cliche, oh, not to be that guy. Question of yeah, but to still. All right. I don't spend my time thinking about what it's like to be That's other a people. Lame cop out. But I'm I mean, okay, yes, I pick up Michael B. Jordan too, because yeah, okay. all right, because I'm sure Michael B. Jordan when he's in his fifties will still be able to walk. Um, I'm sure Michael Jordan. <laughs> Uh, Michael Jordan, the basketball player, still gets a little sore every once in a while just from from all that carrying he did of the Bulls in the nineties. Oh, uh, <laughs> we got we got some baseball to talk, we got some football to talk about, and we got some some soccer, some world football to talk about. We got a very explosive Willie this this uh, this yeah. episode. So I hope you all are ready for that a little later on in the show. Let's start off in baseball though, because we got a few moves I want to talk about uh, that you and I discussed before going on air, and. None of these are really kind of like eye popping. Um, some of them are thinking, okay, there there is something here for the teams involved. But on the whole, I mean, I, I don't think any of these are really overly significant or league breaking, if you will. Uh, and I want to start in New York because the Yankees made two crucial moves, I guess, or one one move and one non move. Uh, the move they made was a trade with the Pirates for Jamison Tyon, one of the premier uh, young arms in baseball. Tyon actually came back from cancer, I think it was a year or two ago. Um, and since then, he's he's been one of the more just solid pitchers in the National League. Uh, for him to make the transition from Pittsburgh to New York is going to be interesting to watch. I think the Yankees need exactly what he provides, is just another power arm to complement the likes of... Um, of Luis Severino, uh, Paxton when he's healthy, uh, Corey Kluber, who they signed as well, um, kind of took a flyer on him, but hoping they can get him back to his best. So they're, they're stockpiling arms for sure, not really knowing how they're going to pan out. I mean, Tyon is probably the best bet as far as who's going to pan out the best. Uh, and I'm curious to get your take on it because not only do they need to add arms just at a, at a, you know, at a minimum going into this offseason, but they also lose a store in the rotation in Masahiro Tanaka, who's going back to Japan uh, and not re-signing with New York. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I would classify him as definitely a risk, uh, given what they're looking for. And um, I'm not super high on the move. And, and the reason why is because not saying it's not a, a good move in general. I mean, he's, a, he's, you know, you can only get what you can get, but... I think what you've seen with Tanaka and the Yankees is that he's a a very consi- he was a very consistent pitcher, mm-hmm. very consistent. You knew what you're going to get from him when the Yankees have had injuries and various guys in and out of rotation, and that's been a weak spot for them. And so, I think that 
when you lose a guy like Tanaka and you take a risk on a guy like Tyon, I mean, he's got upside for sure. But you don't really know what you're going to get from him. And I also think it's important to know, note that, you know, New York is, a, is a, a different beast, you know? Like, we see, like, best example I can think of off the top of my head is Sonny Gray, right? You see him go to Cincinnati as a whole new pitcher. Mm-hmm. Right? He goes to New York, and he, he was not himself. Yeah. And so there's no guarantee, you know, he comes from a small market team, right? So the Big Apple, I mean, uh, yeah, that's, uh, so I don't know. It, it's, I guess if I was a Yankees fan, I would be, I would, I would want someone if, when I lose Tanaka, that's a little more proven, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, um, still, yeah, it could potentially be great. Yeah. And I love how in that, in the intro to that, that deal that we just talked about, I, I love how I just forgot to talk about Corey Kluber or not Corey Kluber, sorry, Garrett Cole. The three hundred thirty million dollar Garrett Cole. Yeah, he's not very good. Not very good. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, some some guy named Garrett Cole grew up a Yankees fan in Orange County, and all of a sudden is is the the Messiah that the Yankees thought they had, and ended up just not being able to carry them as far as as Yankees fans thought he would, and is yada yada yada. But yes, Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, James Tyon, James Paxton, Corey Kluber. They have they're stockpiling arms in New York. How they're going to actually pan out, we don't know, and you know. You have every right to obviously be skeptical of the deal. From a pure pitching standpoint and from a pure stuff standpoint, I like the deal. That said, you know, as you mentioned, producing in New York is different from producing in Cincinnati, in Pittsburgh, in Toronto, in other markets that aren't as just that ferocious as New York. And we're going to talk about this a little later in the show with another sport, but the the need to produce right away is going to be so apparent for every one of those new pitchers in that environment. And I'd be interested to see what the splits are between, uh, say, Kluber uh, at Yankee Stadium versus at other parks, because I guarantee you his numbers at Yankee Stadium are not going to be great. <laughs> no, they're it's, not. It's hard to have good numbers at such a small ballpark for anyone, but especially someone like Corey Kluber, who for the vast majority of tr- his career has been a pure power pitcher. Yep, absolutely. So, uh, but again, I, I like the deal. I think it's an interesting interesting move for the Yankees. Uh, no one really yeah. kind of had that front of mind because obviously Trevor Bauer is the name that's been ev- on everyone's mind in the entire offseason. Yeah. Uh, and he still hasn't signed. We're going to talk about the deal whenever he signs with whoever oh, he signs with. It's going to be massive. Uh, be it, massive. it sounds like New York, uh, the Mets, and the Dodgers are right now the front runners. Uh, but honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if San Diego, because San Diego apparently gave him a three or four year deal, and that yeah. In apparently wouldn't fly, which makes sense because he's Trevor Bauer. Uh, mm-hmm. But I'd be I wouldn't be surprised if they came back with another deal. I would not be shocked because they've been aggressive all off season so far in the off season we've had. So I I don't know. I'm curious to see how that pans out. I mean, I I would say it's it's just. I mean, you're absolutely right, bro. I mean, I I mean, you know, Bauer is the big name in the free agent market, and I think you know it's. Look, when you talk about Yankee Stadium, it's tough. And I, I just think it's like it's an adjustment. And when you when you factor in the fact that the Yankees lost three starting pitchers, and you know, it, it's like you need a proven commodity. Now, maybe I mean I guess the one thing if you're the Yankees that you're optimistic in is you you see like Glass now and you see Garrett Cole and you see for whatever reason like Pittsburgh has these guys and they seem to do well on other teams so maybe you're thinking there's a we have a talented pitcher with you know good fastball and curveball and we can mold him into a better pitcher but 
I think the key, which what you said is right away. And that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's like, you can't expect him right away to do well. And that's why I'm scratching my head because a team like the Yankees that it's win now, especially this team. I mean, this team is due to win. Mm-hmm. And so I, man, you got to figure that they, they've got their eyes on more, at least at the trade deadline. Cause right now it's not good enough. Yeah, I mean, in New York specifically, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've got a lot to talk about in in soccer specifically, but with the Yankees, I am actually kind of surprised that they were able to hang on to Brian Cashman and Joe Girardi for as long as they did when both of those guys... I mean, Brian Cashman's still there, obviously, but Joe Girardi, for as long as he was Yankees manager, he won one World Series in the how many years he was manager? And and he's not getting the results that that payroll and that fan base absolutely demand every single year. Mm-hmm. And so it op- it begs the question, how much time do you get in New York? If you are a player, if you're a manager, if you're a member of the front office, if you're the he- if you're the general manager, how much time is the Steinbrenner family going to give you? And that's the question that is going to be on everyone's mind with the new acquisitions the Yankees have had uh in in the start of the 2021 season. So mm-hmm. lots to look for in New York. Quickly, uh JT Realmuto resigning with the Phillies for for big money. Yeah. Uh, not really a surprise. It was kind of I think it was more a formality. I mean, you know, yeah. we see this a lot. We talked about this last week. Uh, is players using, uh, you know, using the the press as a way to jack up their market price yep. by saying, "Hey, I don't, I don't like what you're doing. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at offers el- elsewhere." They bump up their yeah. offer so you get more than you're expecting. Uh, we talked about the DJ Lemayhew last week, and yeah, sounds like the same thing with Real Muto. So no real surprise here. Uh, Toronto continue to be. Super, yeah. super busy in the offseason. They traded for Steven Matz and picked up Marcus Simeon on a one-year deal. Uh, I like both of these. I, I yeah. Steven Matz is a, is a competent, solid, middle-of-the-rotation kind of guy. Absolutely. He's not going to wow you with his stuff. He's not going to wow you with his stats, but he's going to give you 25, 30 games a year, three and a half, upper three ERA, but that's the kind of thing they need to round out a rotation that needed support. And uh, up the middle, Marcus Simeon is going to be huge. Uh, I know the discussion was a lot of, is he going to play second? Is he going to play short? Is he going to be DH? Right. Uh, but regardless of where he plays and what he does, he's going to be a very big pickup for Toronto. And it's just a one-year deal, too. So they're trying to minimize as much risk as possible with that. And I, I like the deal. I just like it. Oh, yeah. I mean, first of all, I think they're both fantastic. Honestly, I mean, as crazy as this sounds, I actually think the Matt signing might be better just because they really need help in the rotation. And he's, I mean, last year he had a, you know, uh, it was a, a fluky season. I mean, you can't really, I don't think, really judge too much on. But he's a very consistent guy, and for the most part, and I think that's a guy you need. But, yeah, I think that, man, whether, wherever he plays in the, in, in the infield, I mean, immediate upgrade and just very good two-way player. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, but this lineup, the way this lineup is shaking out, I mean, it's going to be scary. Yeah, I mean, there's there's hitters up and down that lineup, uh, and not only other hitters, they're young, very very talented hitters. I mean, you think of you think of the four um, major league legacy kids: uh, Vladdy Jr., Bo Bichette, uh, Kevin Biggio, and Lourdes yeah. Gurriel Jr. Four yeah. guys right there who have big league backgrounds and like in the, literally in their DNA. Uh, and you you can't think that they're not going to have any sort of success at the major league level. They've already shown flashes of it. Every single one of them, Vladdy Jr. Yeah. especially, when oh, when yeah. when he refines his hitting a little bit, and when he 
I, I'm scared of what Vladdy Jr. is going to do at the, at the big league level because he's already done it through what, like a year and a half, like yeah. halfway through 2019 and a short in 2020. This will be a full 2021 season of Vladdy Jr. Uh, if he's in the if he's in the conversation for triple crown, do not be surprised because this dude is he's a pure hitter. He's a Guerrero. I mean, oh, he's uh, oh yeah, he's I ridiculous. Mean, he, he can hit. He is so fun to watch on. Like Vladdy yeah. Jr. is so fun. I mean, I will say this too. I mean, I think that you know. Bo Bichette as well has, has mm-hmm. shown himself to be pretty damn good already as well. Yeah. And so we have a lot of exciting baseball to look forward to, especially, oh especially with San Diego and Toronto. So can you, can you imagine, uh, Owen, uh, if you're, I mean, if you're Ross Atkins, dude, I mean, uh, look, it's a long shot, but man, if, if you get Justin Turner to play third base, mm-hmm. I mean, assuming Simeon plays second and not third, then um, that would be, yep. be crazy. Yep, exactly. So would be a perfect fit with the the veteran leadership. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of promise in Toronto. There's a lot of promise in San Diego, like we talked about in previous episodes. And if you're just a neutral baseball fan, there's a lot to be excited about. But if you're a fan of one of those two teams specifically, mm-hmm. ooh, you, you got to be excited about this season. And mm-hmm. hey, if it doesn't pan out the way you want to, there's still reason for excitement. And I don't remember the last time we've talked yep. about those two teams at the same time yeah. I mean, yeah. in, minimum, in this way. In a minimum, it's they're going to be exciting to watch. You'll be proud to watch your team. Yep. All, yep. all better for the fans. Uh, yep. A couple. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No question. Uh, I do want to move on quickly. A couple more deals we want to highlight real quickly. Tommy LaStella to the Giants going yeah. from the A's. Uh, it's not really to be expected. The A's don't really have that kind of money to shell out on guys like Simeon and LaStella. Yeah. Eventually, they're going to have to face the prospect of losing Chapman and Olsen. It's just the yeah. way the A's are. But, you know, you know, the A's are going to find some diamond in the rough and reform and turn him into an all star and then have him leave for for big money or get a big prospect haul and try to do, yeah. you know, the Oakland I, A's way. You know what, on I, um, I got to say that, you know, I think that this move helps San Francisco a lot, actually. But um, in terms of the A's, it's just sad. I mean, you're right. You don't doubt the organization's yeah. ability to develop players, but it kind of shows where the A's are headed. And it's just the reality of what it's like to be a small market baseball team. Yeah. Um, and so it's just really sad more than anything, you know. Right. But hey, I mean, if the Rays can do it, why can't the A's do it? It's it's one of those things that the Rays have been right. able to do it consistently, well, but I mean, and the A's are kind of cut from this, that, right? Yeah, and it makes it sad because look, the Rays. I promise you, they are not going back to the World Series anytime no, soon. They no. had their chance. No, this was their window. So like, it's that's the reality. It's kind of amazing that Oakland has kept it up as long as they have. Yeah, honestly. So, but it's it's one of those things where specifically with Tampa Bay, when you have a window, you have to capitalize on it and not just look at the stat sheet or look at the analytics. You have to you have to watch the players play the game. Kevin Cash. What? Who said that? Um, yeah. Uh, last deal I want to highlight is is uh, Adam Wainwright going back to the Cardinals. Uh, yeah. It's not really a shocker, but I think you, you and I both agreed it was a pretty solid deal just all around. Adam Wainwright's just one of the one of the kind of not old school, but one of the the really good baseball guys out there. He's just he's just yeah. really good at what he does. He's very solid. He, he may not blow you away with his stats or his stuff anymore, but what he provides to a, a Pittsburgh Pirate, uh, not Pittsburgh Pirate, uh, St. Louis Cardinals team that has been in and around the postseason, in and around the conversation about yeah. being condemned. I mean, they were the they were the NLCS uh, a couple a couple seasons ago. So, you know, I it, mean, yeah, it, it, it's and a I, good deal. It's Adam Wainwright. Yeah, no complaints. He's he's Mister Cardinal, and I think you know, like you said, they're usually in and around the postseason, and I mean, he's old, but he's still a really good pitcher, yep. and. You know, you can definitely count on him on the postseason to make good starts. 
mm-hmm. you said, making the run, you know, to the NLCS a few years ago. He was an intricate part of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so after the Braves collapsed in Game Five, <laughs> but uh, had had to bring that up, didn't you? I was yeah. I was avoiding it, but uh, whatever. That was one of the greatest <laughs> things I've ever seen. Yeah, that was bad. Um, any other deals you want to highlight before we move on to the Super Bowl? Because we got a, uh, a, a little Super Bowl to discuss. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, I, I should just say that um, one of the – I just wanted to highlight an overall theme from, from free agency. Um, I think that we're – if I had to guess, um, we're, we're seeing the pandemic – really affect some of some of this and it's just interesting to see how the pandemic has affected things because i think it's had a big impact on free agency and how mm-hmm. teams have operated yeah no question no question and and the the financial ramifications are going to go a lot further than a lot of us realize and we probably won't see it for a, a year or two but the difference between teams like boston and new york and la versus teams like atlanta and uh tampa bay oakland Seattle, you know, teams that don't have those stupidly high payrolls, yeah. uh, it's going to be pretty apparent. And I think it's it can be good for the game in one sense because you can see what what teams can do with limited resources. But on the other hand, it gives such an advantage to the the boys that are going to go out and spend millions and millions on one player. Uh, and that's something that in in every sport, whether you draft Hall of Famers or not, it's the ability to keep players on your team. Uh, because you can pay them at or above their their market value, and and that's something that again, it, COVID is going to put a huge dent in that. I think for a long time. Yeah. Not everyone has four hundred thirty million dollars they can give to Mike Trout, you know, and, no. and he's the best player in baseball, yeah. but not everyone has that kind of money. And and yeah, and I think this is where the good farm systems really come to fruit. You know, mm-hmm. like you said, there's a huge difference between these teams that have the money and they have don't, but the ones that are really going to benefit are the ones, whatever size they are that have good prospects coming yep. through the system. Yep. So, you know, and, yep. and we could talk about this for hours, but the, the point being, you know, we're going to feel the effects of COVID uh, just from a pure sporting standpoint for a long yeah. time. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any question. Moving on to the NFL, because we have a little bit, just a small game next Sunday, not this coming Sunday, but the Sunday after, obviously, just a, a, a tiny little football game to talk about. Um, it's Super Bowl <laughs> 55, Tom Brady and Pat, Mah- Tom Brady against Pat Mahomes, uh, Chiefs against Buccaneers in Tampa Bay at the Buccaneers home stadium. Uh, I don't remember the last time we've had a, a team play in their home stadium in the Super Bowl. Uh, Falcons yeah. had a terrific opportunity after the 2018 season and just decided to not be good anymore yeah. which is hilarious because you know whatever atlanta again atlanta uh, but this is about tampa bay tom brady 43 years old 10 super 10 super bowl appearances which is just yep. stupid uh pat mahomes just playing on another level somehow passing concussion protocol um and <laughs> and playing the game he did against buffalo uh you know it's it's one of those things that at the end of the day quite frankly ball don't lie and that's all there's to say about it yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. Both quarterbacks are incredible, and I think we're in for potentially an all-time classic Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And yep. I think that this is actually a game that could really live up to it. I think yep. both teams are very evenly matched. And um, I just think as a, a football fan, this is a game that we're going to 
you know, remember for a long time and one we're very grateful to have. I, I yeah. can't wait. I, I, I can't agree. Wait. I agree. Um, there's another topic I want to talk about as far as all-time greats and quarterbacks uh, before we head on to the, the main event of this podcast. Uh, but it's it's one of those things that it's this is actually a coin flip. I don't know which which team is going to like there in one Super Bowl. You have a feeling like, OK, last year's Super Bowl, uh, the Chiefs against the 49ers. Mahomes had an incredible season, not quite his MVP yeah. season, but he had an incredible season. The Niners played really well all year, just very consistent. Uh, Kyle Shanahan doing kind of Kyle Shanahan things from a tactics perspective and of course choking when it matters I wonder where I've seen that before uh, but last year you had a feeling like yeah no this is Pat Mahomes have got, had, you know he and the Chiefs they've got this it's fine Andy Reid right. is going to devise some scheme they can come back from double digits down in the second half in the fourth quarter alone and that's what we got it was a great game great result uh, from a personal perspective but that one you kind of had a sense of what was going to happen this one I have no idea I, it's honestly a coin flip. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously go Chiefs yeah. because I don't like Tom Brady for personal reasons again, yeah. but that, that team is just so good all around and they've gotten really hot when they need to be. And yeah. the Chiefs have kind of been on this level all season. So is, which sure. way is it going to go? I, you tell me. It's so interesting because I think um, before I ask who I'm about to ask you, I, I think that it's, it's going to be so interesting you really don't know which way it's going to go. And it's so interesting because, you know, it could really go either ways in terms of I could see it being a shootout or both defenses are playing really well. It could, both defenses could totally get timely stops in the game being the 20s. So mm. I'm, I'm just so fascinated. And also what adds to the intrigue is just like neither of these quarterbacks are ever out of the game. No, it does never. not matter. <laughs> I'm sure Atlanta fans know that. So it does not, and especially uh, fans. Just twist the knife, why don't you? I, w this game is a pure coin flip, I, yeah. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't bet. Um, and, but I was going to ask you, and I mean, what is your hostility towards Tom Brady? I would say that I bet you if you survey the average fan, like the average neutral fan, I mean, they're probably pulling for Tampa, you know? The last stand against Baby Goat, Tom Brady at 43 years old. Really? Like, yeah. No, because I, I feel like it'd be the opposite because Tom Brady no, is part no. of that evil empire with New England for the whole time. Obviously, I have my, my reason for hating Tom Brady. It's called Super Bowl 51. <laughs> uh, that's, that's pretty much the only reason you need. Plus, you have Spygate and the tuck rule and, and just the history of Tom Brady being the quarterback for one of the most hateable teams in all of sports in the Patriots. So, you know, it, I don't think it's it's far-fetched to say that the opposite is actually the case. I mean, I'd be curious to, to just do a random straw poll. Maybe we'll do this ahead of the game uh, before of next Thursday's podcast where we do a little preview episode and, yeah, and just get a sense of what people think about Tom Brady, just random people who don't have a stake in it at all, people who may not even be football fans. Like, hey, Tom Brady or Pat Mahomes, Chiefs or, or Bucks, who, who do you want to win? Oh, so, you know what's funny, bro, is like I, I have some friends that would love to come on the podcast. Um like five or six and uh some from college some from home to do a little preview and uh they're it's kind of split like some just kind of <laughs> don't like brady much and some love him so you know yeah. but one of my friends who is a big patriots fan likes brady a lot 
he'll always root for him. Yeah, I mean, and that's reasonable. I mean, you won six Super Bowls with the team. Is what are you? Yeah. What are you going to expect other than you know? I, this is my favorite athlete of all time, not just quarterback. Yeah. So, but you know, again, I have my selfish reasons of hating Tom Brady, and I'm going to stick to those reasons. I, I, you're going to be really hard pressed to change my mind. I think the only way I wouldn't really not like Tom Brady is if I actually met him. I'm sure he's a, I'm sure he's a normal person. Uh, the whole, you know, best friends with Trump thing doesn't really help his case in yeah. my book, but you know, sure. that's neither here nor there. This isn't a politics podcast. Are I know, you, you, I know some folks don't like it, but I, I have my views on uh, it. You know, uh, McCall Hardman was a dog. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's that as well. I mean, Michael Hardman played for, played for Georgia. Um, so I, I do have a little bit of a, a soft spot for him. Um, you know, uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair played for those LSU teams that were always f- that LSU team uh, in 2019. That was really fun to watch. So They're that right. could be something as well. Can't like them. They're, LSU aren't division rivals, and they, they smoked Georgia in 2019. Yeah. I, there, yeah. there was no no way Georgia was going to run with them with the, the the way Georgia played that year. Just no way. Just defensively yeah. so solid, but no offense whatsoever. Jake Fromm is not a great quarterback at all. <laughs> he doesn't have a good true. arm at all. You can't. I mean, even Georgia fans will even agree with me, but he doesn't have a great arm. Justin Fields had a much better arm, and Justin Fields is going to be a much better quarterback than Jake Fromm, in my personal opinion. I mean, we could have the receipts five years from now, and Justin Fields is out of the NFL, and Jake Fromm's got a Super Bowl ring. I don't know. You never know what's going to happen. So, no, for but, sure. But yes, playing the odds, I think what what I said has, probably has a little more merit to it. Um, yeah. No, I, I, um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I can't wait for this game. On, yeah. I, I just, I think it's going to be who do, you, who would you put money on for the game? If I was a betting man, you just can't bet again. I mean, this is this comes from literally personal trauma. You cannot bet against Tom Brady. Period. Never, ever, ever, ever bet, I, bet against I, I Tom Brady. That I, I mean, people have different opinions, but I think that beating Green Bay in Lambeau. This year, the way Green Bay was playing, and I thought they were by far and away the best NFL team. It's just like I—I I think that that arguably is the biggest win of his career, and I just think it—it it shows you can't bet against him. Yeah, I, mean, I, I can think of a Super Bowl where he was down about twenty-five points in the second half, yeah, where sure. you know no one really expected that to happen. But I, I think yeah. that no, I, I, I agree though. It's a big win. I think that it's it's in the sports. It's amazing to see two goats, and I'm talking about Brady and Rodgers in this case, mm-hmm. you know, really go at it when, like, towards the end of their career, in particular when one of them is, like, at the top of their game, like Rodgers, and Brady still beat him. Yeah. So it's just, it's just incredible. Playoff like, Brady. Yeah. Playoff Brady is Playoff and, Brady's a different animal. Yeah, man. And... I mean, I know he has weapons, but I mean, the way he threw in that first half, it was just a clinic, like an absolute clinic. Yeah. He put on against Green And back, I think Brady so. now, for the first time in his career, has yeah. a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. I think he's he has he this does. this thing internally that's driving him to prove that the reason that he won six Super Bowls in New England was not just because he had probably the greatest NFL coach of yeah. all time uh, as yeah. his head coach for the whole time, for his whole yeah. with the Patriots it's be, I, it's it's now that like I can win a Super Bowl without Bill Belichick it's not the coach it's me I think and I think that that's you know it's so interesting because you know they'll never admit to this right but I I think that basically when you read all these stories about 
Tom Brady basically being ran out of town by Bill Belichick in the organization. I mean, they want him gone for a few years. Um, it's like the inside that's probably fueling him. And it's mm-hmm. just from from just the casual, like, human element of it, it's just so fascinating, the backstory. I mean, yep. inside, he wants to prove it so bad. Yeah. Like, and so, yeah, man, it, it's like and he you know he wears he he even said he he wanted he'll, he'd give up 12 to wear the number seven for mm-hmm. like yeah so it's 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 fascinating though really yeah fascinating. I, I really would be fascinated to have a sports psychologist on the show to have him kind of walk us through you know stuff they've they've talked to with players about someone who's worked with with professionals who has a history of of getting the best out of people uh, getting the best out of athletes and just from a pure psychological perspective, like getting, but getting people to understand I, what motivates them really I, I, I deep think down. I though that it's just like, just as a, a, a human fan, right? It's in you, you and your under over stuff, you go on the angle, this angle, but it's like, it's so fascinating because it's like athletes have to really look for things and, and almost like to a fault sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, mm-hmm. it's like, for example, right, like you you hear about like LeBron James yesterday uh, on Monday scoring 21 points in the fourth quarter because he thought that a member of the Cavs front office was laughing when he missed too much, right? Mm-hmm. Like these, yeah, all these like you know like they look for all this edge and just blow it out of proportion. Yeah, well, it, it's funny. But you funny you mentioned that, and I don't want to spend too to- too much time on this because we got a whole segment on 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 the Premier League we have to discuss. But it's interesting that. You think about the cliche that athletes have, which is, I'm not really focused on on what people are saying about me. I don't really read the news. I don't really read, uh, you know, when they have press conferences. Oh, I don't really read what you write, but you know, I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you what you want to hear. I'll answer your question. Right. Deep down, you can't avoid anything these days. You, you can't live in a bubble that doesn't have any any sports coverage whatsoever. I mean, every single broadcast network is going to be carrying the big games. Every single broadcast network, every print publication, every major sports publication is going to be talking about you. And you're going to see it at some point on any sort of social media, because I I guarantee you there's a maybe 0.1% of total athletes around the world who aren't on social media, because part of being a professional athlete these days isn't just on field uh, performance. It's your presence and who you are off the field as well. And Staying away from that is a lot harder than you think. So when someone says, oh, I don't listen to what you say, that's probably not 100% true. They probably listen to it, but they probably just don't pay any attention to it if they don't really agree with it. Now, if they if they really disagree with it, like in this case with LeBron, then they're going to use it to motivate them. And you don't want to give someone at the highest level of his quality specifically, but really anyone at the highest level, extra motivation to prove you wrong, to do something to you know prove that you don't know what you're talking about. That, you know, you are not as good as someone who's actually on the floor, on the court, on the course doing this. Yeah. So No, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things. Athletes are human at the end of the day. And if you write something are. about someone, they're going to they're going to find it somehow. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, they, you know, they say they don't read it and it's kind of them trying to convince themselves they don't. But they, they do. They're yeah. human. They see yeah. this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah. that's actually a really good transition into uh, the, the big topic we've been alluding at this show and this is really i remember you texted the group chat uh when this news broke uh and and the kind of really the 24 hours after it happened about 
going on the podcast and just letting it fly. So yeah. uh, if you don't follow soccer, uh, number one, I pity you because we had a explosive managerial change at, at Chelsea Football Club uh, this past week. Frank Lampard, who'd been at the club for 19 months as manager and how many years as a player, uh, was fired yeah. uh, by Roman Abramovich and, and the, the board, the directors, yeah. uh, after, uh, after 19 months in charge. Uh, the team yep. at the time was in ninth place. Now they're in eighth place after picking up a point in their first game under new manager Thomas Tuchel's first game in charge. Um, Willie, I, I want to let you do the bulk of the driving on the section, but I, I do have my thoughts as well. And I, yeah, I, I don't no, know. I love to hear your thoughts. Man. I don't know yeah. how much you'll you'll agree with what I have to say on it, but I, no, I want to no. give you the floor because you are the resident Chelsea fan of the show. And okay, so yeah, just mean, your cool. your general thoughts on what's happened sure. in the last forty eight sure. hours. Well, we'll have a back and forth, and um, yeah. So I, you know, look as a Chelsea fan, I'm fucking pissed. I am so mad. I'm so disgruntled. I think it is such the wrong move, and I just can't take the culture of the club. It's the straw that broke the camel's back, and I'm really, really disgruntled as a fan, and really, really annoyed. Um, I mean, to start off to give a little backdrop for people who may not know. Chelsea. Uh, Roman Abramovich is the club's owner. He, he's been in charge since 2003. He's gone through 16 managers. Jose Mourinho, Abram Grant, Scolari, Ray Wilkins, Gus Hiddick, Carl Ancelotti, Andres Villas-Boas, Roberto Di Matteo, Rafael Benitez, Jose Mourinho, Steve Holland, Gus Hiddick again, Antonio Conte, Mauricio Sarri, uh, Frank Lampard, and Thomas Tuchel. Um, and before we get to Lamp. Before Chelsea got to Lampard, apparently none of those world-class managers, all of them world-class, were good enough for them. But whatever. But you get to Lampard, and Lampard's different, Owen. I saw so many positives. And when you're as a as a club, you're trying to work for cons- you're trying to work for consistent success. That's the goal. You have to search till you get it. But with Frank Lampard, I saw a great long-term vision. And I actually saw, through my lens, fantastic strides. I loved what I saw. I saw great academy players coming through. I saw most players under his watch, with the exception of a couple of German players mm. who just came in, individually improve. I saw an attractive style. I saw a club legend who, similar to Jurgen Klopp, has a tremendous connection with the fans. And no way that this happens or that they get out, the board makes it out alive if they um, not start an insurrection, but no way that the board makes it out alive if they, if they do this when, when fans are in the stands. And most importantly, there are structural and personnel issues at Chelsea. The squad is holes. It's not good enough. And what's ridiculous, what's so ridiculous about this is when you read the story about it, it's that it's so clear when you watch Chelsea it's a personnel issue. The players aren't good enough. The kinds of things that that analysts and that people criticize Chelsea for, they just don't have the players for it. And when you read the stories about Lampard giving his input and the club not giving him the players he wants, it's just ridiculous. Like it's like, for example, right? Like you you read the Athletic article and and Frank Lampard wants Declan Rice, and it's like Declan Rice is the perfect player for the team. Chelsea do not have the players to run a lot. They just don't. They don't have players that run 
or want to sit in front of the back four. So a new manager is not going to solve that problem. A new system will. But it's like Frank Lampard was growing on the job. They showed so many good signs. They had so many periods where they were so good. And Lampard, this was his dream job. He was only going to get better. He could have been here for 30 years. And to, and you, you know, to see Chelsea so prematurely before you really know what the squad was going to turn out to, sack a manager that would have wanted to stay there for 30 years, it's completely ridiculous. And more importantly, this club is not going anywhere. Like, this club is never going to be the club they want to be until they stop this culture. Now, people will say, well, okay, since Romanovich took over, Yes, Chelsea have had, it is true, they've had the most trophies of any club, but it's never going to be more than a year. It, it's You may have one good year and a couple off years, and you're never going to be able to attract the top managers anymore. I think this is the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and I think that you're just never going to be able to have good sustained periods of success. And it's ruining the culture of the club for everyone. And so I'm... I'm just so disgusted that I thought a manager who was really good, honestly, was just let go so prematurely when they're maybe the only, certainly soccer club and maybe franchise in the world that would make a move like this. I just, I can't fathom. I, I just, I, 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 yeah, I have a lot more to say. Let's have it back and forth. I mean, so... This is probably the most animated you've ever been in a podcast, and and rightly so. I mean, this is the thing that gets you really fired up. And when you when you texted us about it, like I'm gonna, I'm just gonna let it all out. This podcast, I, I was excited, and uh, this this did yeah. not disappoint. I think you hit all the major points that I think have been talked about by pundits in in sports media. And and the one thing I, I will say is that when Lampard took this job at the start of the uh, of the 1920 season. My initial thought was this can go very, very poorly. Not because I don't think he's a good manager. I think he could still very well be one of the top managers in the world. The issue with Lampard is so multifaceted. Number one, he's a club legend. Chelsea yeah. don't have a ton of those pre-2003. Yeah. And so you have to understand, like this is, this is one of the biggest names associated with this football club. For him to have been shown the door in this way was actually my number one biggest fear as a neutral, just for him, just for just yep. for Chelsea fans like you, because after seeing the way Jose Mourinho got sent out the door twice for the second time, then seeing the treatment of Antonio Conte, then Maurizio Sarri, they treat world-class managers the exact same way. Like, it's, they treat them like piece of shit. Yeah. That's it's like, if you don't win the treble, you're out. That's basically the standard. That's what I thought. Uh, Man City's owners were going to do to Pep Guardiola after they after he didn't win a trophy in his first season. Yes, they right. won they won the league double that year, or they won the the league that was the, the EFL Cup and and the league, and then they won the FA Cup in the league and the EFL Cup last year. Whatever it was, they started winning trophies since then. They're probably going to win the league this year again. I honestly thought without winning the Champions League, though, they were going to show Pep the door. That didn't happen because they understand that things happen in seasons that you can't control, and it's not one hundred percent the manager. Yeah, at Chelsea, and, Abramovich doesn't see it that way. He sees it as 
it's it's the manager's job to get results and win trophies. If you don't win trophies, you're not the right manager for this club. The play, it's not the player's fault. We're, we're giving you world-class players. You have to get the most out of these world-class players. The issue is with Lampard, like you're saying, they have to give Lampard the players he wants. They have to be able to work together with a manager. It's not go win me trophies with whoever I give yeah. you. It's I want players to play a certain way. I need players who can play the certain way. The players that I have right now don't fit that criteria. We need to refresh the squad. What do you think? What do you think Pep Guardiola did after his first season at Man City? Completely revamped oh, the fullback yeah. department. Yeah. And what did they do? They they won a hundred points that next season and won the title by a landslide. Yeah. Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp's first season. Oh my God. How many signings did he make in his first full season? Sadio Mane, Jorginho Wijnaldum. Uh, uh, just two right there. Game-changing signings for the club. Yeah. Brought in Loris Karius to provide Simo Mignolet competition because yeah. Klopp knew right away Mignolet wasn't good enough for Liverpool. He didn't realize Karius wasn't good enough for Liverpool, but that's, you know, that's, I don't think Karius was given a fair chance and his champions, his, confidence got shattered after the Champions League you don't with Karius you don't become the second best keeper in Germany behind legendary Manuel Neuer if you're not a world class keeper but that's you know that's that's for another story that's for another time I, I, yeah it's, I mean, it's a, yeah. an ability for a club to have its manager and its football director its sporting director sync, work together you know? not be enemies you think Michael Edwards and Jurgen Klopp are, are good friends no maybe not but they work together, together. almost flawlessly. And Klopp says to that, Edwards, Edwards says to Klopp, this is yeah. who we're going to be able to sign. Yeah, and, and I think that when you talk about the synergy, the key there, which you mentioned, right, is it's like, it does not mean that every club is like a Manchester City or like a Chelsea, frankly, where you have the resources to buy whoever you want. But the key there is that they both agree on the vision of who they want to buy. Mm -hmm. and And so... First of all, I'll mention that, uh, by the way, uh, Lampard, just so you know, Chelsea legend, no, just because he doesn't mean anything, he deserves to be treated like shit because he's the all-time leading goal scorer and assist leader and fourth in all-time appearances. But um, when you talk about the synergy, look, Lampard is a brilliant tactical, like he understands football and like people give them all this shit because he doesn't change formations when, well, I got news for you. Most good managers really don't change their formations, the systems that much. He understands soccer or football, and he knows what Chelsea needs. When you listen to his team, he's not an idiot. But when you read the reports, Frank Lampard got one player he asked for. That was Hakim Ziyech. Everyone else they signed for, he signed off, apparently, in Dunchua. But he didn't ask for him. Then all the rest of the players he didn't need or want. And so you have to back the manager with the players that they deserve. You're setting up the guy to fail. Chelsea, Chelsea's squad is shit. They're not good enough. They're a, a borderline top four squad. Last year they got really lucky. I don't even think they'll be in the top four this year. They're not good enough. They don't have the players. They don't have forwards who like to run that much. They have a couple midfielders that work hard. But they, they don't have discipline. They don't want to sit in front of the back four. Kovacic is out of position all the time. Jorginho is too slow. Mason Mount is small and wants to stay high up the field. They don't have players that are going to provide protection. He said he wants. He's like, I want another holding midfielder. And now, to top it off, and go Conte, when you're in the ports, he's upset. And he doesn't know if he wants to stay at the club. What the hell are they going to do? 
Like, okay. Like, and, and for all the complaints, the defense has been good this year. Yes, we have to get much better without the ball. But the defense has been better. There's been progression. Almost every single player on that team, with the exception of Rudiger, who got frozen out of the squad, and Kai Havertz and Timo Werner, every single player improved. Christian Pulisic looked great. Hakim Ziyech looked great. Mason Mount's been brought through with great. Reese James has become maybe second to Trent Alexander-Arnold in fullbacks in the Premier League. Ben Chilwell has looked very good. Uh, Mateo Kovacic vastly improved. Olivier Giroud under Lampard's watch. Killing the goal scorer. Uh, Thiago Silva. I mean, he's fit right in. Kurt Zuma. Okay, when he's healthy, all of a sudden, yeah, he, he looked at his promise. You know? He, the club clashed with him because he wanted Kepa out. No shit. He's terrible. Like, he's not a dumbass. That's Marina Gorskaya embarrassing herself because she's making bad signings. What the hell? He's right. It's like when, it's like when you, like, it's like, it's like, you know what, man? Is it's just like, it's just like, say you're getting an argument with, with someone and, it's the tone is is maybe the most important thing, but that doesn't mean when people get animated that they they don't have points. And it's just like I saw such a good progression of this club. I love would have loved to see what Lampard did if you give him time. And I felt this club was truly gonna have a progression. And by the way, whatever it's worth, every single Premier League club, and for the matter of fact, I watch a lot of soccer around the world. Like most teams have these funks, but if you just want to focus on the Premier League. Liverpool, before today, went winless in five. Manchester City were terrible to start the season. Arsenal were awful. Um, Tottenham, frankly, were pretty bad last year for lots of the season. Uh, the list goes on and on. So this is not new. Manchester United, I mean, they're up and down. So you have a stretch of six games or so when you when you struggle and you're through in the FA Cup and you're through in the Champions League? What the hell? Like these are ebbs and flows. What do you expect? Mm. I mean it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No like, and I, I I don't know. It's like it's like uh, there's no vision. This ownership doesn't know what he's what it's doing. And I just think it's like, what are you, what are you hoping for? Mm. What, like, what, 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 what are you hoping for? Like, well, I, I, I don't get it. So, so here's here's a bit of a, a bit of a tangent, not a tangent so much, but a, a a a talking point we could we could work with, if you will. So, one of Chelsea's great successful managers since Abramovich took over in 2003 was, no surprise, Jose Mourinho. Yeah. Jose Mourinho sets his team up to play a very specific way. Yeah. A very specific way. They control the yeah. game without the ball and they hit you on the counterattack. Yep. They are the best teams. Mourinho's teams are the very best in the world, bar none, at the smash and grab. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any other team that, I mean, maybe Osimioni's teams at Atletico. Maybe, but yeah. Mourinho's done it for longer and with more clubs and yep. with, more, with greater success. 
in a way, maybe he had something to do with shaping how Chelsea are supposed to operate or how they do operate. Maybe there's a part of, of Abramovich that thinks this is how successful clubs operate. They operate mm. like they are managed by a manager who doesn't care how the team performs. They care about yeah. the number of points on the table. They care about the number of trophies you win. And they care about what kind of players you need. And that was the thing with Mourinho. Has Mourinho made a drastic change to the squad at Tottenham since he's been there? I mean, yes, he's, been, he's had one, uh, two transfer windows in charge. Well, three if you count this current one. And two of them have, were in a pandemic. So, realistically, he hasn't had the opportunity to change the squad as much, but has he really done that much to this Tottenham squad? No, he really hasn't. All of the players that were playing key roles under Maurizio Pochettino are still there, and they're still playing a lot. A lot. I mean, obviously, you can't really replace Harry Kane. Hyoman Son is a new kind of player under Mourinho because he gets to do what he does best. He gets to run and have direct chances at goal and set up his teammate to have direct chances at goal. Yeah. Midfield, he's got his enforcer. He's got Ndombele, who's playing really well uh, right now. Musa Sissoko does the same job. Serge Aurier, who's not afraid to pick up a yellow card if he has to, can be a bit of a liability defensively, but he's the kind of player that Mourinho loves. Yeah. A player who and, can get forward on counterattacks yeah. and also stick a foot in there if he needs to. Take one for the team. Yes. And so with right. with Chelsea, I don't think there's an idea of, oh, we need to adapt who we are as a club or to the specific manager, or we need to let this manager have his his time, number one, and his his desires as far as a squad. Lampard didn't get any of those. I bet you sorry didn't get any of those besides Jorginho. Conte, maybe. But <laughs> you think of the players who were successful under Antonio Conte, like, wh- where are they now? I mean, right. it was mainly... The, the standout two for, for me were Hazard and um, uh, Victor Moses. Right. I mean, there's Pili Quetzal still there, but that's, that's about it. Right. Really. I mean, he's, he's basically the only mainstay. But you think about, you think about the, the, the way that... Mourinho operates and the way that Chelsea operates. There's a lot of Mourinho at Chelsea, but there's none of Chelsea in Mourinho. But right, right. And and you're look, you're you're absolutely right on. And so in that sense, okay, maybe yes, it's clear look, it's clear that Chelsea simply to a fault care about results. They they don't care about the silky football that you know Lampard wanted to play they do care about the results and yes they have Mourinho in the back of their mind but projects are a project for a reason mm-hmm. I mean Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola didn't come in and light up English football I mean Man City finished fourth and I think Liverpool did they even finish fourth no first they finished season? eighth I mean, Klopp, his first full season eighth. they finished fourth but his first yeah, but he, his he, first he season he finished over, eighth he took over in charge yeah halfway right. uh, so, October and so this, yeah, and so this squad was this squad was was building something. This squad was was building something, and so like, okay, look. At the end of the day, the reality is this: players aren't good enough. Sure, 
you may get a five to ten game manager bump. I'm sure you look. You watched the first game, and the players are running hard, but that's not who they are. We don't have the players for it. Like we don't have, we don't have the players that are good enough to win matches. Right? It's not to say that Chelsea needs players to run a lot, but most of the time you do, and so. We simply just don't have the players. And the other thing, I'll say this too. I'll say this too, okay? Um, you mentioned there are reports, right, that, that you know, Peter Cech was speaking to, to disgruntled players' agents. And, you know, and, you know, like, they wanted a German speaker, right, to talk to Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. I got two things to say. First of all, um, every manager has players they want and don't. So I don't want to hear players going to the board and asking to play. Like, I don't want to hear Rudiger having the power. I'm sorry, you're not good enough to be our center back. You're just not. So that he should not have power. And it's pretty clear when you hear things that he was probably one of the guys who went to the board. And the second thing is a lot of it falls on the players. Like, okay. Uh, sure. Do you need to have better man management skills? Probably. And that's probably one of the biggest criticisms you love at Lampard. But what? At the end of the day, if Timo Werner comes in there and looks like, and Kai Havertz, and they look like they forgot to play soccer, you're going to blame them for that? Like, it's ridiculous. Like, players take time to adapt, but you can't hold. Look, at the end of the day, the players bear some responsibility. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. You you can't just blame a player, a, a manager, when the players are struggling. Yep. That's what happens. That's what's yep. called being out of form. Yep. What you're gonna blame Jurgen Klopp because Liverpool went five games without scoring. What did they not score a goal in five games? I think. Yeah, five game, five league games without well, scoring a goal. You're gonna blame all just Klopp. Is he washed now because they they can't they can't score? Mm-hmm. And the reality is that look, Chelsea just don't have those kind of players too. I mean. Like Pulisic's young player, Ziyech's young player, you know, Giroud's in his 30s, Tammy Abraham's young player, by the way, who was lighting the world on fire for parts last season. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get why this squad is, is just simply, it's, it's not good enough to challenge for the title. I mm. don't know what you could possibly see to think it is. Yeah. There's nothing there. Well, so, so and 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 I like I said, oh, I got news for you. Like, it's the, like, look, Chelsea would have sacked Pep Guardiola, yeah, first after what, season one. Like, oh, I mean, easily, this is, easily. This is ridiculous. Like, I don't <laughs> like. Yeah. So, so I, I'd offer a few things because you know I know this is this is not an easy thing to go through with with any club. Uh, there's a lot of layers to this, of course, and the one thing I will I will stress is that. You know, this is this is someone who who hates when managers get all the blame. I mean, I remember, you know, not to not to go back to baseball too much, but when Dave Roberts was getting flack for the way the Dodgers performed in the playoffs from 2018 until yeah. this past year and not yeah. winning the World Series. I mean, I'd say, well, is he the one who goes out on the field and, and performs? No, that's his players. Exactly right. That's his players. Take a little pride. Is, players take a little pride. Is it Lampard's fault that Timo Werner misses sitters? 
or is struggling oh. to adapt to a new league, a new country, a new language? Is it Kai Havertz's fault that he's doing the same thing? Is it Kai Havertz's fault that he's 21 years old and being asked to perform at one of the top clubs in the world? Yeah. When, where were you and I at the age of 21? You know, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where a manager can only do so much. You can only motivate your players to a certain extent. You can only tell them how to play based on what you think the best thing is to get the most out of them. But at the end of the day, you have to carry your end of the bargain as a player. And if you're not doing that, the easy things for you to do when you know you're at a club like Chelsea is to blame the manager. Just be like, yeah, it's just matter. I don't think he's I don't I don't think he's he knows what he's doing. Because how many players around Europe do you think are a hundred percent always thrilled with their manager? Like, I will run through a brick wall for you. I yeah. would I would argue it's most players who aren't at Liverpool, Manchester City. Uh, Atletico Madrid and boy, Arsenal to an extent, but, but still it's, it's one of those just bizarre things to me. And so, you know, I think the thing that we, we do have to keep in mind Mm -hmm. is that players have so much power these days. They do. And that can be both a good and a bad thing. But in Chelsea's case, it's turning out to be, this is just a to- it's a toxic environment for any yeah. manager. Kukul's not going to last more than eighteen months. His contract is for eighteen months. He's not going to last more than. That. Apparently, when you were listening to the reports, they they said like they don't have uh, Tuchel doesn't have any interest in signing a contract longer than that. Like yeah, I mean managers now are starting to understand that Chelsea is becoming, and this is not really a hot take, but this is kind of just an observation of what things have been like. Chelsea have kind of become England's version of Real Madrid just without the titles, at least in the last five or so years. Yeah. I mean, Real Madrid, you think about how many managers Real Madrid went through in one season after Zidane retired. They went through three managers in a single season before they convinced Zidane to come out of retirement. Zidane went out on top. Back-to-back-to-back Champions Leagues at the top of his game, led by Bale, Ronaldo, Benzema, those were, you know, the top tier Real Madrid teams. Yes, I mean, Real, we talked about Real Madrid being uh, fortunate with the referees and VAR, quite frankly. But that's that's neither here nor there. Don't don't at me, Spanish yeah. cousins. I know who you are. You know who I am. <laughs> it's okay. I've I have Spanish cousins. They're Madrid fans. It's fine. Um, it's one of those things. He went out on top, and he knew that the only reason he got the time and the patience that he did. From Florentino Perez and the Madrid board is because he's a club legend. Yeah. He's one of the greatest players in the history of the sport, not just at Real Madrid, but the entire world. That's the mm-hmm. only reason he got the time he did, and he produced a feat that I don't think is going to be matched for probably decades. A trifecta of champions, yeah. three in yeah. a row, under a completely different manager. Completely yeah. different manager. They won their 10th Champions League. Yeah. Zidane comes in, now they get three on the trot. Yeah. But how many managers did they go through to get Zidane to come out of retirement again once he left? It's lunacy. I mean, Benitez? No. Lotepegi? No. Zidane? Yes. Retires? Oh, okay, comes back because no one's, no one's going to good enough. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Carlo Ancelotti got fired 
at Madrid because he didn't win La Liga. Or he didn't win the yeah, Champions League. Really? He won he won the Champions League in his first year, but not the Liga. But then he won the Liga and not the Champions League, and he got like, fired. He got fired, yeah. And I mean, like how do you? Players. Yep. It's it's because it's because the players have so much power, and because at a club with the standards that are as high as they are at Real Madrid, if you don't win titles, you're out. If you don't, yeah. if you don't score two or three goals a game, you're out. It's 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 a toxic environment for Real Madrid, and. I don't think there's a manager right now in world football who could do even a fraction of the job that Zidane has done, that Ancelotti has done. Yep. It, it, it takes a certain type of manager to be able to do that. And yep. Chelsea is turning into that for England because yeah, it doesn't matter who's playing for Real Madrid. You, don't, you, you think Ancelotti goes out and says, I want this player, this player, this player. And Perez is like, yeah, we'll I'll give you those players. Sure, why not? When you have Cristiano Ronaldo, Gareth Bale, Kareem Benzema, Tony Kroos, Casemiro, yeah, Sergio Ramos, who is quite frankly overrated, but that's neither here nor there. Rafael Varane at the time, Kaylor Navas. I mean, that was a that was an elite Real Madrid and, team. Oh, and I I just wanna I I just wanna follow up on kind of what you're saying here, though, which is just like, you know, first of all, like you said, you know, Chelsea is by definitely the opposite of a project club. You know, there's no project and very few managers can operate on that basis. And most importantly, our players are not those world-class players you mentioned. They're mm -hmm. not. So to expect us to just be like Bayern Munich or Real Madrid where Hansi Flick comes in and wins the treble, it's not mm -hmm. going to happen. Yep. You know, we don't have the players. Yep. And it's like, Roman Bra you read the reports, like Roman Bronovitz, he's seen enough. After the Leicester game, right? He's seen enough because you had a bad stretch of seven games. Like, are you serious? Yeah. You've seen enough? Come on. Yeah. So, it, like, what, what do you want to see? Like, what is there to see? What do you want to see? What do you think? We're going to be winning games 5 0? What, mm. what is your goal? I'm asking, what is the goal? What are you hoping to see? Okay. Thomas Tuchel came in. You know what I saw? I saw 76% of possessions and virtually no chance to create mm. Yep. I saw Callum Hudson-Odoi playing wingback. Mm. I still yep. saw the same problems. I saw the midfield getting killed and leaving all kinds of open space. Like, what, what, like we're not Real Madrid. Our players are not like that. Not like, none of our players, Owen, like, if you look, in fact, I'll, I'll even say this. If you take, like, the top, any of the teams, I'm, I'll go as far as to say this. You go and take whoever makes, like, the round of in the Champions League. Maybe Thiago Silva, maybe. We basically have no players that even be in that team. Mm -hmm. Conte, maybe. But yeah. really none. But, but like, here's the thing, though. Guess who was, you know, in a team, team of the Champions League, team of the knockout rounds. You know who was probably in the conversation to be in that team last year? Or at least if not in the, exactly, if not in the 11 of that team, but this, the 18 of that team is Timo Werner. I mean, these are not players who were just inherently bad. They're players who were just way out of whack. And yeah. is it, is it a, a byproduct of Lampard trying to do too much or not being able to get enough out of players who don't speak the same language? Maybe. Yeah. Is it the club's kind of approach 
to to management maybe it's all of these things and lampard is kind of like a he's more a symptom than a cause of their problems i mean what what happened what happened in Mourinho's third season in his second stint in charge i mean where was chelsea at the table when he got fired the second time yeah, they were in the relegation zone exactly I remember, I, mean, this, I remember it very well. This is not a new occurrence for Chelsea, and yeah, it's going to continue. What is it playing about playing games at Leicester? For, it means bad things. Because if you remember, uh, Mourinho got sacked right after they played Leicester on the mm. road. Yeah. <laughs> and they lost. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I – um, he's more he's more of a symptom, like you said, Owen. And here's also the other thing I don't get, okay? Like – this is also the thing that drives me crazy, okay? Mm-hmm. The players have too much power, like yep. you said. It's on the players. Now, I understand Lampard might not be the most fuzzy, but look, I watched, when I watched, you know, like I said, I watched Chelsea games. Lampard, um, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, they've played everywhere. Mm-hmm. People will say, oh, well, you know, they're not playing in every positions. Really? Have you watched the games? They've moved both of them everywhere. Havertz has played at number 10. He's played in the right side of midfield three. He's played forward. He's like he's played across the front line. Timo Werner played all across the front line, center, outside. What we want him to do. Mm-hmm. He's tried everywhere. Yep. He's literally tried you everywhere. It's on you that you forgot how to freaking play football. Yeah. Like it's like, so, and it's like, and then, then you hear the reports in the athletic. Well, they lost their confidence when uh, with the changes in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Timo Werner started like ten straight games and didn't score a goal. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you want him to do? Mm-hmm. He's tried you everywhere. He starts you every time. Mm-hmm. You haven't scored one goal. What do you want him to do? Yep. Yep. Like seriously, like there, there's no options. Like what? You're just gonna leave him out there? Mm-hmm. No, I I get you, and so so here's here's the thing. With... It's like and then it's like it's like, yeah, it, it's it's uh, and the last thing I'll say is it's just like with Kai Havertz, it's like I don't understand what <laughs> when you the, here's the other thing when you watch Chelsea, okay? Is it's like. Everyone wants it all way. Mm-hmm. So it's like you wanna you wanna have a team that's more plugs up the gaps in the middle and works harder. Kai Havertz is not the guy for that. Mm-mm. No. You wanna have a guy, but then you're like, well, if you play him on the uh, on the wing of a four three three or a four two three one. Uh, he well. Oh, he's got to play in the middle. That's that's not his natural position. Mm-hmm. Or oh, he's got to play in the right side of midfield three. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they have tried everything, and yep. nothing has worked. Yep. I I don't. So I I don't get. It. It's like you're you're not managing the players well, and your formations are out of whack. I yep. mean, I don't know. So I, so here's where here's where when you're saying about about Lampard not getting the players he wants, uh, being really supported by by what's going on at Chelsea. So, number one, Timo Werner is not a Frank Lampard kind of player, period. Timo Werner is not a player who can play in the system that Frank Lampard wants to. 
Timo Werner has one skill and one skill only, and that is he is very fast. He doesn't score 20, 25 goals a season in the Bundesliga because he's a poacher in the box, because he's able to hold the ball up for his teammates. No, no. He scores those goals on counterattacks, and because he is so fast, he's able to get into very good positions, a la Mo Salah. Like, when Mo Salah came to Liverpool, he only scored that many goals because you know how many chances he created, how many chances he got? How many sitters did Mo Salah miss in his first season yeah. in Liverpool? He's only become the world-class player he is because he has gotten better at finishing at the technical side yeah. of his game. That's what Timo Werner needs to do to be successful, is to yeah. adapt that side of his game. Because he can run around in behind all he wants for Chelsea, but against 90% of the top teams, or 90% of the teams in England. I mean, the only teams he won't be able to do this against are really, I guess, you know, uh, Tottenham and other teams at the bottom of the table who who, who have to pack it in. Exactly. Yeah. He he needs space to operate, space in behind specifically. Against Liverpool, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a hat trick in the reverse fixture against Liverpool. I would not be surprised. But that's yeah. that's not Lampard's game. Lampard's game is on it's it's ball on the front foot all yeah. game. It's attacking yeah. football. That's not Timo Werner's game. Timo Werner would be a 25 goal per season striker just in the league alone under which manager? Jose Mourinho. Oh, He's yeah. the oh, perfect gosh. Mourinho player. Oh, because man. he is stupidly we can make fast. A transfer with them. <laughs> I mean, it, it's actually, it's actually kind of mind-boggling when you think of the kind of player that Lampard needs to be successful, uh, as in the players that are are performing well under Lampard, namely a big, tall center forward by the name of Olivier Giroud. Yeah, it's 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 a shock, and you think about it, and then you you think of Kai Havertz. Well, what is Kai Havertz's best position? It's anywhere in between a number eight and a number ten, yeah. kind of. As a second striker, supporting the front yeah. line, maybe a little deeper than that, making late yeah, runs sure. into the box. Running uh, the, the, the commentary on Kai Havertz in Germany when he was with Bayer Leverkusen was always what impresses me the most about Kai Havertz is how he's able to make late runs into the box, how he's able to yeah. effortlessly exactly. glide into the box, finish with his head, with his feet, pick yeah, out a Peter pass. Boys allow him to do that. Yep. Exactly. Sure. Guess who? Who also plays that position at Chelsea? Hakim Ziyech and Christian Pulisic. So they bought someone who they, quite frankly, didn't need. And they're asking him to do things that he's not great at in a new country in a season where he's had coronavirus and he had a pretty severe case of it from what what I understand. Mm Mm-hmm. It's asking it's asking him to continue to be a world class player or ha- or show world class potential in a situation where basically the deck is stacked against him. I mean that's yeah, and, I don't and, care who you are. That's a hard thing to do. It's it's oh yeah. I mean the circumstances have been against him and but like to your point on okay so to, to a couple of your points. First of all, with regards to Kai Havertz, um, you yeah you said you make great points. Look, the COVID symptoms were supposedly bad. And really affected him, and it took him a while to get his win back. And when you talk about making the late runs in the box and what you do with Peter Boys and stuff, um, at Chelsea, he was given the freedom to do it. 
Um, he was given the freedom to roam forward. I watched the games mm. to get in the box to mm-hmm. kind of float behind the strikers. He was given all that freedom. He just didn't do well. And and the second thing is, oh, and I think you could not be more right, bro. Um, what do you say about Timo Werner? And you know, um, like some people say, oh, you should play a four four two, and like Leipzig did at times. Or, but oh, and you're right. And what's staggering about it, Owen? is like he doesn't have good skill like that the amount of times he just like and maybe playing the center a little bit would help or with the front two but like just loses the ball you know and so it's like he's hurting the team by being in there bro mm-hmm. like you said when chelsea is trying to when chelsea is trying to break things down you have two player three players in Mason Mount, Christian Pulisic, and Hakim Ziyech, and um, I'd say Hudson Adoy, who either can run at the defense or be very direct and beat people. But Timo Werner just loses the ball on. He doesn't give you anything. I, like, I, okay, I don't want to say that. When he's at his best, he obviously does. But the way he was playing, he, he doesn't give you anything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can influence the game. When you're not scoring goals or assisting, but he didn't do that. Mm-hmm. So yep. I don't like you. You, I think Owen. So far, your take looks completely right. And sure, Leipzig had a different system, mm-hmm. but it's just when, like you said, in the system of play, he doesn't seem to fit in at all. And frankly, Roman Abramovich bought players he wants to see him to succeed, and he has no patience when clearly they weren't the right fits for the club. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And here's what I'll say about Timo Werner again. I, I don't mean to beat this point to death, and I do actually want to get, on, get over to some other yeah. results before we uh, yeah. continue talking about Lampard a little more. Um, with Timo Werner, in 2018, in the World Cup for Germany, he got the starting role over players like Leroy Sané, who didn't make the team, and Julian Brandt, who only came off the bench. Yeah. So let me let me pose you this. Imagine Timo Werner in that Germany team with midfielders like Toni Kroos, Rami Kadira, oh. players like Thomas Müller, and just the, the array of talent they have uh, at fullback as well with Jonas Hector, Joshua Kimmich. I mean, these are, I mean, these are world-class players for Germany, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And Germany play basically a very similar way that Chelsea do. They have numbers forward, fullback specifically, play a very advanced role. Yeah. And they have 75 to 80% of the ball in most games. Maybe okay, maybe 65 to 70 is more yeah. is more accurate, but the the point remains. So, uh answer me this, Willie. How many goals did Timo Werner score at the World Cup? Yes, it's a small yeah, sample none. size. None, right? Exactly. It's watching him play at the World Cup, which made me think Man, he, he's, he's not, not going to be good in a, in a, a possession-heavy side. Mm. Because possession-heavy sides typically are going to play against teams who are going to want to absorb pressure. And it worked for teams in Germany's group, namely Mexico and Sweden. Now, I'm not saying they parked the bus, but there were not opportunities for Timo Werner to show he is a striker, a forward who can finish one chance in one game. If you give him one chance, he's going to score. He's not that kind of player. He needs four or five chances to be able to do that. 
And the only reason he scored so many goals at Leipzig last year is because, guess what? They play a counter-attacking style. I mean, yes, Nagelsmann's a very tactically sound coach, and he's going to be able to succeed at the highest level. But given the way that Leipzig kind of build their team, that's always going to be the way they play. Is mm-hmm. a four-four-two with Poulsen as a hold-up striker for Timo Werner to run in behind. Yep, Poulsen. That yep. works for Serb- that works for some clubs. Sure, that that style yep. works, and he works in that system. But does he work in a system that's going to have seventy-five percent of the ball? No, because they're yep. not going to run in behind. And he's yep. not going to have the space to. And that's that's the problem with him. He needs to have space, and he needs to have chances. If you don't have either one of those, you just have dead weight on the field. And you know, obviously, you want to see players succeed in new leagues because it it makes the game more exciting when it's on any given any given game anyone could win against literally anyone but that's not the case with Timo Werner he just doesn't have that that advanced skill set that makes him successful yeah yeah and you're absolutely right on I think all the stuff you said is is correct and it's just what's startling about it is like you're getting at is just he doesn't have the skill to go along with the pace. Yep. And that's why he's, like you said, he succeeded in Leipzig, but in the German national team. I mean, it was staggering watching mm-hmm. it myself. Like, just yep. really knocked him while I'm playing at, in center forward at his mm-hmm. first position, like you said, with fullbacks that want to bomb forward and, and a really good team. And, and so it's like, look, there's obviously a place for pace, but it's like, what, what's staggering about it, Owen, is like, you kind of, when you watch soccer, right, it's like, you you think that there's three there's like four things you want out of a front player, mm-hmm. right? You want a player that runs a lot on defense, mm-hmm. and then on offense you want a player that that finishes, that can, um, that can beat people off the dribble, and hopefully can distribute. Mm-hmm. You know, so. yep. yep. And the truth is that he. Only has one. He only has the ability. He all, all he has is pace. Yep. But he I, he doesn't even have the ability to like run by people, and then the end product is raw. Mm-hmm. He just loses the ball. Like I remember, like the game against uh, it might have been Wolves, right? It it was crazy. He just kept not 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 this last game because he didn't play, but the first game, it was just like he literally like like he lost the ball like nine times in a row. It was just staggering. Yep. And so it's like, I have to say, Owen, it's just like, you don't even see the flashes against, like you say, a set defense. It's just like, you don't see a guy, right, who can beat people off the dribble, but then just once he gets around the box, like his end product has to get better. He doesn't even get there, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, if I got space, I'm going. But if defense is tight and look, the Premier League plays great defense, mm-hmm. you're you're done. Look, you can't be get by Semedo. Damn, you yeah, got a problem. So <laughs> uh, I, I want to draw one more comparison, uh, and then I, I do want to move yeah. on to a, a bit of, of fixtures, and we'll get to hot takes. Yeah, um, I do have two two things I want to mention. Number one is the way. Teams are in the future, not just Chelsea, but any team he plays for after Chelsea, because you can't, at the rate that he's playing, you can't see Timo Werner staying at Chelsea more than a year or two. Yeah. The way teams are going to get the best out of him is if he plays in systems like Leipzig or if he plays in a team like the one who was linked with him basically all summer in Liverpool, where that's something the forwards do all the time. 
It's the dynamic movement, the ability to get in behind when yep. teams are even parking it. But the thing is, he he needs to refine the the technical aspect of his game because when Mane and Salah first signed for the club, they were still very raw. But guess yep. what happened? Guess what happened to them? They have improved drastically in the technical side of their game to the point where they both tied for the golden boot two seasons ago. So, yeah. realistically, Timo Werner has really just to look inward and think, how am I, with the skill set I have, going to get better? And the way he's going to get better is just to be more technically sound as far as his finishing goes. I mean, Mane scores goals these days that three years ago, you think, no, he's going to hit this one into row Z. No, no way he's going to hit the target with this one. And now he's putting them in the back of the net. Yep. Salah, same thing. It's a great comparison. Um, the other thing I'll say is that when Liverpool were linked to him in the summer, um, the, the conversation was never, oh, he's going he's gonna to challenge for one of the starting positions. No. I, I've said this before on the show. I'll say it again. He was never going to start for Liverpool if he were to sign. They, they brought him yep. on specifically as cover for Firmino and yep. Mane and Salah. The backup. Exactly. And 50 million pounds for someone who would sit on the bench for, you know, 60% of the time, at least his first season, is not something Liverpool are willing to pay. So what do they do? They got someone for at least 10 million pounds cheaper who already has the tactical acumen and the positional sense to be able to start right away. And part of the reason Liverpool struggled for so long uh, in the last month or so is because they didn't have Diogo Jota to come in late in the game and find a soft spot in a defense because that's what he's good at. That's not the kind of player Timo Werner is. He can't just come on and make that difference. He has yep. to start and he has to make an impact from the moment he comes on. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we could talk about this for, for a long time, but it, it just goes to show that it, it really does feel like Werner was, uh, you know, he, like he is a black sheep in this scenario. Like he's not yep. the kind of player that Lampard really needs. If Tuchel can somehow get the best out of, say, a 4 4 2 where Giroud and Werner are playing together, then maybe we have something. But it just doesn't seem like right now that's the case. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance that... I, I anticipate the system being in... I, I mean, I thought the... For whatever it's worth, I thought the the system that, that Chelsea played in the Wolves game, I thought was really interesting. You know, like they played... They played three at the back. Um, you know, and it, it, it was... It was... Really interesting. I mean, it was a three-four-two-one, and it was really interesting because it allowed, like, you know, you could totally put Timo Werner up there, but they, like, him, like, they had the flexibility to also kind of drop behind Drew. So it was dynamic. But mm -hmm. you know, we'll we'll see what 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 happens. Yeah, and, and I guess the other thing I wanted to say, uh, you know, I, I know you've been really negative about Chelsea, and, and rightly so, because it is it is such a tough thing. I mean, this is this is the thing I would fear if, say, Stevie G would take over at Liverpool when Klopp's done. It, it's the same kind of thing happening, where if the results aren't where the club expects them to be, then they get impatient, and they let go of a club legend in the way they did. Uh, but they would give more time. That's besides sure. the point, though. I still think Tuchel can, can get the best out of Havertz and Timo Werner to an extent. This, this comes with those two specifically, but the rest of the team being two things, willing to run and willing to improve, willing to work hard off 
the field. And by that, I mean on the training pitch. Because right now, there's potential in this squad, but that's all it is right now. It's unrefined potential that's not performing. And, you know, the cautionary tale is a little bit of, I mean, Tuchel was at Dortmund for two seasons and PSG for a little more than two seasons and also got fired this year. So yeah. there's a bit of a kind of like a what, what are we gonna do now with with yeah. Thomas Tuchel taking charge and I, I you know I would definitely temper expectations this season for sure but I think if there's anyone who's gonna get the best out of out of um, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz is it's Thomas Tuchel because what Absolutely. he did when he did when he was at Dortmund he got the best out of Henrik Mkhitaryan and Pierre Emerick Aubameyang and Marco Royce. He got those three players specifically at the front to play probably the best football Dortmund had played in the post-Klopp era. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he really did get the best out of those three specifically. And Mkhitaryan went on to be, I think he won the assist title in the Bundesliga one year, the year before he went to United under Tuchel. Um, Aubameyang, I think, won Golden Boot that year or something like that. He couldn't stop scoring, and then he went to Arsenal. Um, Marco yep. Royce was at the top of his game, I think. I mean, really, the best he had been since the 2012-13 season when they went to the Champions League final uh, under, under Klopp as well. So, yeah. I mean, listen, there's, great, there's potential for sure with, with Chelsea. That's there's, great that's great parallels. There's potential. Sure. But mm -hmm. it, it's up to the players. It's up to the club giving him time to work with those players, which we know he's probably yeah. not going to get. And it's... Also, kind of a coin flip because England's a different animal. England's not Germany. Yeah, the game's different. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, I'm interested to see how things pan out. Yeah, absolutely. I there's a lot of potential with Tuchel for sure, and you highlight his past. Absolutely, if you're a Chelsea fan, there is some reason for optimism. Yeah. There. Yeah. Sure. There's so so. There's a little bit of a little bit of room for optimism. A little bit of like, okay, this is not. All doom and gloom as we suspect. There's a little bit of, you know, we can we can do this kind of. But it's they have to be tempered expectations for sure. Okay. Yeah. So, for sure. But I, I do want to talk about the rest of the league though, because Chelsea is not the only team in the Premier League. There are 19 other teams. Yeah. Um, and I do want to start with a game today. So we talked about a a certain perception in English football that, you know. Oh my God, you win three games in a row and you're flying and you're going to win the league. Or you lose three in a row or you can't score in five, say, for example, not picking that number for any reason in particular. And all of a sudden, oh, uh, you've lost your mojo. You're going to get relegated. You're not as good as you used to be. Are you washed up? Is it time for your manager to go? It's, it's part of the ridiculous notion in England that results are completely indicative of how a team is playing. And it's this impatience that really just needs to stop. If if you want to have a level head as a Premier League fan, just don't don't listen to anything that any pundits, any journalists, that anyone has to say about a club. You can have your own perception of how your club is playing for yourself. But to to listen to someone say like a Gary Neville say yeah, I think Liverpool's lost their edge. You know, uh, they just aren't the same team as they were before. You know, they've had injuries, yes, but everyone has injuries, and and you know, yada yada yada. It, it, it's totally fine to be like, 
I don't want to jump to any conclusions. It's five games in a 38 game season. It's not the end of the world. They're still in the top four. You know, and this is just one example in particular. Not just because Liverpool won three one today against Tottenham and scored the first goal in in four hundred something minutes or however many however many games it was. And and really, the bottom line the bottom line of what I'm getting at, folks, is that for teams like Liverpool, for teams like Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> it's 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 gonna be fine. I I. I I I don't I don't know how much more I could keep saying this. It's going to be fine. Like I, I remember early in the season we were talking about Arsenal and we were saying, "Oh yeah, no, like what something's going on at Arsenal, like there's a huge issue at the club." Mm-hmm. We yeah. are we are we talking about them in the same way right now? No. Definitely yeah. not. Uh Oh my God, City! They're in tenth. Uh, they're not going to win the league this year, huh? Yeah. What? I mean, let's let's like I I I just want to say for the record, yes, this today is one result, and this could be hypocritical of me to overreact about it. But it's just this kind of thing that like the results you get in football matches do not always indicate how well you play. Yep. Take sure. the the reverse fixture of today's game at Anfield. Of today's game uh, at Tottenham, but at Anfield about a month ago, or a little more than that. So, yeah. Mourinho, in classic Mourinho fashion, said, "Yeah, we were the better team, but we didn't win." Right. Okay, that may be true. You may have that opinion, but if you'd won that game, two two nil, one nil, two one, on two counterattacks, would you say that Liverpool played badly? And didn't get a result? No. Yeah. You wouldn't say they played badly. They just didn't get a good result. And they, they had two mistakes that ended up being costly. That, that's how fine the margins can be. Not only in, in this fixture or this league, but just in football in general. Fine margins make or break a title. Mm-hmm. And it's the overreaction to yeah. those margins going one way or the other that causes teams like Chelsea to be so reactionary and to be like, oh, uh, we're playing well, but we didn't get any results. Um, fire the manager. It, it's the wrong approach. You, every, every single club in the world, bar, I don't know, three, maybe four, have the luxury of going, yeah, we can give our team some time. You know, we, we're a club that we're going to compete for the top honors, but it's not going to happen overnight. I mean, we need to have a good team in place. Teams go through ebbs and flows all the time. Why is that different for every team in England? It's why, why, why should managers that say Chelsea not be afforded any time? Is it, is it because we're too fixated on results? Yes, we're, we're too fixated on results, but the way to get around that is obviously to just look at the performances. I mean, were were Liverpool bad objectively in the five games they didn't score a goal? No, they weren't bad. They didn't have their best stuff. They didn't play their best games. Yes. But they didn't have horrendous performances. It's not like they just forgot how to play and got battered five nil, like, you know, five games in a row. 
No, these were very, very close games. They were either scoreless draws, 1-1 draws, 1-0 losses. I mean, they're not, they're not bad games. They're not bad performances. They're performances that don't get rewarded with goals. And that happens to every single team in every single sport. You have games where you play well and just you know don't score a touchdown, for example. Or you don't score runs. Mm-hmm. You, you load the bases yeah. every inning for nine innings. Sure. And you score, you know, one or two runs. That's not a bad game. It's just in the decisive moments, you come up short. And that's that's what happens in every single sport. It's just human nature. You're gonna you're gonna fail sometimes. So so here here I think that you make a great point. Oh like you make a really great point. Um and the the more important thing than the results is definitely looking at the performances. But here's the question I would like to hear you answer on the subject. And this is what I'm curious about. I think that, you know, it's pretty clear when you watch Liverpool, right, that the performances are still pretty good. Like, yes, like they have definitely, um, you know, the, the performances are still pretty good, even when they're struggling. Like you said, they have not been by any means bad performances. They've been pretty good. They've just... The front three has kind of misfired um, a little bit. And obviously, you know, the injuries hurt too. I think with Van Dyke, also with the ability, it, it limits your ability to press as well. But my bigger question, Owen, and, and here's what I'm curious about. When you watched Liverpool the last year or two, right? And obviously, it's to be expected that when you win, it just takes so much out of you mentally. Um, I mean, they were at the top of their game, and they mm-hmm. were at a different level. And mm-hmm. it's just the, the motivation to just press and counter-press, like, ruthlessly the whole game, like, gang of press. Mm-hmm. And obviously everyone performing at their very best. But my bigger question, Owen, Owen, is do you think we'll ever see Liverpool at their very best again? Because this season, the reality is that they're, they've been good, but they, they have not been at their very best the whole season. No. And we've seen that Manchester City, you know, last year what happened to them, and then this year, yep. yes, they're winning the league, but by no means are they even close to the level they were at for nope. three seasons. So my question is, Owen, what, my, what can we expect from from Klopp's project going forward in terms of yes the way the Premier League is right now they're obviously going to be right there but do you think we'll ever they'll ever come close to the level that they were at last season and the season before well that that's the thing it's it's when you set a level that is that absurdly high yep can you ever reach it I mean how many times in sports do we talk about teams uh, whether it's team sport or an individual sport, being able to reach a level that was record-breaking, a level yep. that was astonishingly good. Uh, take, I don't know, the Yankees from the nine, the Yankees from the late '90s, early 2000s. You think we're going to see a team that consistent, that good again? Probably not in our lifetime. No. Uh, how about Tiger Woods, for example? The year 2000, 2001, winning yeah. all four majors in a row starting with the U.S. Open in 2000 at Pebble Beach. 
Is that ever going to happen? Are we ever, ever going to see him like that again? No. Are we ever going to see that, that kind of thing done again? Probably not. Liverpool is no different from that. Yeah. Are, are we going to see Clayton? I mean, yes, people get older and this is, this is, these are the kind of things that happen. But when you set a standard that's so high, yeah. you become a victim of your own success because it, it, not only do you have to, you know, physically put yourself in that position again and exert yourself like that again, but mentally you also have to have that same exact focus on achieving a goal that you've already achieved before. That's almost an impossible thing to do. And so, no, I don't think we're going to see Liverpool get back to their very best, but are we going to see Man City get back to their very best where they were under Pep Guardiola, their, their second season? No. Are we going to see, I don't know, how many, are we going to see Manchester United get to where they were under Sir Alex Ferguson in the, the, the beginning of this millennium? Probably not, no. I mean, it, it's the kind of thing where when you reach the, the level that they were at for as long as they were at, it's so hard to get back there. And yes, we're going to see glimpses of it, of course, because Klopp is a world-class manager. Liverpool is a world-class club who has a very smooth operation and knows what they're doing. Um, I have their own, my own perception of what they need to do in this transfer window specifically in the next you know, three, four days, but that's neither here nor there. It, it's just hard to do, period. But yeah. teams are going to be successful, and that's what separates the big teams, the, the massive gargantuan clubs from the big ones. And, but, and, and so my question to follow up, and I think that's very well said, is, is what, can, what, is the, what should our reference point be? Like you correctly point out that the performances have been fine for sure, but what is our reference point when what, that it sh- what, what should we expect? What should be the default norm? And particularly when you're a team like Liverpool, right, that relies so much on their defensive ability, it's like, if you don't have that drive to just, you know, roll your sleeves up and just go all out, you know, it's like, what, what can we, what can we expect? That's, well, and, and part of it, Owen, might just be that the performances are fine, but you don't find a way to win those close games or they show up for the big game. Mm-hmm. but they struggle in some of the other games. And yeah. so maybe like while people are overreacting, the truth is like maybe the trend is better, but somewhere along the lines of what we're seeing now, which is that, you know, you can't expect consistent long strings of wins maybe, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's one of those things where to me, you have to look at the big picture. You have to look at the amalgamation of results and performances yeah through the the tenure of an entire manager. So you do have to look at Klopp in his first full season where there were games that Liverpool should have won that they just didn't. Uh, yeah. The 4-3 against Bournemouth comes to mind first and foremost because Liverpool were, I think they were up 3-1 at some point in the second half of that game and they ended up losing 4-3. Yeah. Uh, other times you think of uh, Klopp's first full season, the comeback against Dortmund in the Europa League. Other times you look at the the string of wins at at home. You think of the win streak they were on uh, to start the the nineteen um, twenty campaign. You think of some of the results they had against the big six, where they didn't drop a they didn't 
lose a single game against the big six in one season at home or just in, in general, I think. Mm-hmm. So you really have to look at the big picture and what is what has been the the kind of combination of all these results? What is what is a performance like? What has the goal been like? And that's why you can't really have your expectations be anywhere. I mean, yeah. you're actually, you have to set your own internal expectations, really, and is is kind of the point I, I'll make. Is you have to kind of understand that, yes, we've had moments where we've been through this, but we've also had moments where we've been through that, and it's the com- the combination of those experiences that makes it so that you know we know that anything is possible, so we don't take anything for granted. But that said, we still put everything we can into every single game, and what happens happens. We control what we can, and we don't worry about what we can't. Right. And yeah. and so I I don't think you can really set expectations as to where where Liverpool will be specifically or really any top club will, where they will right. be. You know they're going to be challenging for titles. You know Man City are going to be challenging for titles. You know at some point in the next couple of years Chelsea will be challenging for titles again. You know what's going to happen. But that's the beauty of the Premier League specifically is it's so cyclical. Any of the big six and even any team in the top half, realistically, you know, consistently in the top half, and that that includes, I guess, you know, Wolves and uh, Southampton again, and 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 other teams, West Ham as well. It includes uh, those other teams. They're in the conversation as well, and that's what makes the league so great. Is that you, you just don't know what to happen because anything could happen to one some any of the big six because they've set the standard so high. I mean, we we talked about Liverpool and Tottenham a couple of years ago as being. You know, the two English clubs in the Champions League final that we thought like, yeah, this is English football at its very best. What did Tottenham do in the next season? <laughs> Their manager got fired. Right. And and it, it, the club's kind of been in, in disarray since then. You think of Liverpool, they wanted to win the league next year, but then the, the year after they had a bunch of injuries, which I mean, it's this season. So they had a bunch of injuries and the they weren't winning those close games. They were conceding late in games to win one, to, to draw 1-1 one, one or 2-2. Two, two. Uh, like they did in Klopp's first full season or even his second season. So again, you, you just kind of have to look at both and understand that like, yes, you have a certain expectation of a, as a club, but that expectation is not specific. It's a very broad challenge for title, finish top right. four, make cup runs in domestic cups and in the Champions League. And that's, that's the expectation for a top club. And that, that has to be the expectation. And you have to temper that based on what players you have, what the players' experiences have been, and and you know, so on and so forth. And that's why I think having a holistic view of of sports in general, not just football, but sports in general, is so important if you're just gonna enjoy it at all as a fan. You just gotta you just gotta enjoy it. If you can't laugh when your team is bad and be happy when your team is good and celebrate it and enjoy it when your team is good, then you're just gonna be a miserable sports fan. And trust me. It's not fun. I mean, talking, being an Atlanta sports fan, it's not fun. Sure. So that's that's the spiel on it, and so so ends my sermon on on how you should be a sports fan. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I no, it's it's you're right. I uh, know, and I think you're you're right. It's just when you bottom line is when you set such a high standard, it's it's definitely hard to fall up. And as a fan, you should appreciate that. I just, I you know. I just I do wonder, like you said, it's like how much in the like how much do the players have mm-hmm. left in them? Yep. You know, I, I, that's I think 
a really interesting question that I'm curious about. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I will say as a fan, like you said, you should know what to expect. But I am sad because I, I did I, – look, I, I enjoy watching good, good stuff. And so to see them shatter records and play the way they were, I mean – the, the the way they played those two seasons, I mean, I'll never forget it. And it was just really just two of, I mean, two of the best seasons by a team. Uh, man, what they yep. were doing was groundbreaking. Yep. yep. As in life, success is always fleeting. So enjoy it while it lasts. Yep. Absolutely. Because believe it or not, there is not a team that has won 38 games out of 38. I mean, Arsenal went undefeated for 38, sure. But they didn't, they didn't win all 38. Nope, they did not. We have to. We have to remember that. There have been teams that have been much better than them, actually. Yeah, exactly. So, I do want to move on and talk about. I want to highlight two other results from the midweek fixtures we've had because there's two in particular that are kind of somewhat eye-catching. Okay. Uh, Man United one, Sheffield United two. Last place, Sheffield United getting their second win of the season, just their second uh, at this point of the season. Yeah. Uh, their chances of of reaching safety look a lot less bleak they are still very bleak don't get me wrong and they're gonna need a miracle to stay in the in the league yeah, they but, really do. but really this is one of the things we've been talking about all summer when your team's doing well you can't overreact and when your team's doing poorly you can't overreact where were man united a week ago yeah yeah they they drew with liverpool and then the next week they knocked him out of the cup okay mm -hmm. And then he lose to Sheffield United at home, providing almost yeah. nothing going for. I mean, they had three or two or three good chances all game against yeah. a team that's literally bottom of the table. So yeah. it's it's what makes this league so great is that on any given any given match, any team can beat any Anybody team. It's Man so City stupid. lost to Norwich last year. Norwich got relegated. <laughs> so anything's possible, really. You cannot cannot sleep on your laurels. Can't take anything for granted. Enjoy it while it's there because you don't know how how long it's going to last. I think. By the way, I think we'll see them next season. Norwich. Yeah. We very well could. Very I well. I mean, could. They're, uh, they've been winning the championship pretty much the whole season. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, and I think things typically even out to the mean. Yep. And the reality is, you know, is it's just like. You have to, you know, you you at least though with Man United, you know, you see progress. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, this was, this was a a huge setback. Yep. But I think, look, I mean, let's be honest, right? You you watch Man United all these games, and mm -hmm. the eye test doesn't tell you they're top of the league for sure. No. And so, yes. Individual goalkeeping errors are going to happen. They're a part of the game, you know. Yeah. But the reality is that overall, they're just performances. If you just go off the performances, they're just not good enough. Mm -hmm. Yep. And yes, top four, sure. But to win the league, no, absolutely not. Right. And I, I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, based on my eye test, I would put them fourth, like it, behind. Manchester City and Liverpool and Leicester. Yeah. And those three teams look better when you watch them play. Than yeah. Than and and this is this is the one thing. You know, we, we get fixated as, as sports fans on on little moments, either officiating moments or mistakes that 
you know, change the complexity of a whole game. We talk about goals changing games in football all the time. But at the end of the day, both teams have, I mean, and goals change games. That's, that's not really, uh, it's just a fact. It, it, it's from a psychological standpoint. It, it is what it is. But really, when, when it comes down to it, both teams had the same amount of time to do the same thing, like in any sport. That's, that's the thing that separates champions from contenders because champions find a way to do more in tougher situations with less time. That's the thing that separates the, the ones who end up winning from the ones who are close but never really, never really get there. And had United found a way to win that game, you'd think, yeah, no, these are, these are champions. These are, these, are, these are championship contenders. But against last place team at home, you you'd think if these are gonna if they're gonna compete for a title, they have to win this game at home. And they have to show they can do it, not just by, you know, scoring five goals. They have to do it by showing they can go behind, get get sucker punched early, and still end up winning. They just uh-huh. didn't they didn't show that. So, you know, as of right now. That said, we're what, twenty games into the season? Mm-hmm. There's still Literally eighteen games left. Yeah, Nineteen for some for some teams. So yeah. half a season left. Nothing is done yet. Nothing is done. Yeah. So that if you're a United fan who's kind of pissed at me for getting on your team for not being title contenders, they could prove me wrong. I don't. I don't care. But it's just one of the beautiful things about sports is that over the course of a thirty-eight game season or sixteen in yeah. the NFL, eighty-two in the NBA, one hundred sixty-two in baseball, or the lo- or course of a long PGA Tour season, ball don't lie. And I think, I, think, I think that, you know, it's amazing because when, when you talk about it like that and you, you, you talk about how the team really isn't, you know, at the end of the day, title worthy. And you, you talked about it last podcast about how sports is so overreactionary. I think Manchester United, I mean, really exemplifies that. I mean, I've never seen a team, it just feels like every week the reaction it's just so astounding either way. Yep. It's like this week, it's like, wow, this team's actually really good. They're title contenders. Yep. Man, is this project great. And yep. the next week, it's like, well, yeah, you know what? They're really not that good. Yeah. And Ollie's not the right manager. Yep. And the yep. squad's not good enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. One week, it's trust in Ole. The next week, it's Ole out. The next week, it's Ole's at the wheel. The next week, the bus is the, the, the car's coming apart. You know, it's, it's so reactionary. It's up, down, left, right, and sideways. Uh, yep. Honestly, what you make of it is up to you. Seriously. Uh, and mm-hmm. this is coming from someone who's watched his team blow a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl, blow a 3-1 lead, uh, win 14 straight division titles and make it to one, uh, win one World Series in the process, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What you yep. make of a team is up, totally up to you. Yeah. And that's the beauty about sports it's, it's mm-hmm. the beauty is in the eye of the polar and, and like in life too not to get too philosophical but it's come on it's life isn't beauty's in the eye of the beholder come on mm-hmm. <laughs> okay new, no more new york accents we got one more game to talk about and then we'll get to hot takes so we can uh, keep this under two hours burnley three aston villa two mm-hmm. uh villa have definitely looked disappointing in in the the you know this part of the season Mm-hmm. Because they started off with so much promise, obviously hammering Liverpool seven to two was you know it was a one off result. It was definitely a a blip, not a trend for for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. 
And for Villa, you thought, yeah, this could springboard them to, you know, contend for maybe a Europa League spot. But realistically, it, it, it just shows you how tough this league is because yeah, even a team like Burnley can go to Anfield and snap Liverpool's ridiculous uh, home unbeaten streak. Uh, and they could have very easily lost the next week, the next game against Villa. But Let what did they do? No. Yeah, I mean, they won. You're right. You're right, Owen. I think um, people were a little too high on for sure. I mean, I will say this: they, you know, in general, when you watch them, performances look pretty good. Um, but you're right in terms of the results. Um, you're right. People overhyped them. But yep. My question to you is. Um, who do you like out of the non-Big Six teams to finish in the Europa Leagues or Champions League out of Southampton, Everton, West Ham, and Aston Villa? Which do you think has the best chance to crack those spots? Because I think it's Aston Villa out of all those teams. So, so I, against my judgment, against my better judgment, I want to say Southampton and Villa. But realistically, I think it's going to be Everton. <laughs> um, I don't want to say that. I hate saying that because I just hate the sound of it because of anything associated with Everton Football Club. Um, but I think out of out of every non-top six team, they're, they're the best. They've been the most consistent this year. Uh, I mean, they started off the best and they've dropped off since then to be expected. Uh, you know, when you're a small club like Everton, you can't hope to compete with the big boys. Um <laughs> No, but in all seriousness, I think they they are the most complete team out of out of all those. Um, they're the yeah. best. They have the best coach for sure. Uh, this is only his first full season, and I think they have well, uh, enough experience to to get it over the line. I think uh, Hassan is a pretty damn good manager. He is. Yes. No, I, I'm not sleeping on Ralph Hassenhuttle as well with Southampton, and of course Liverpool legend Danny Ings. Um, yeah. You know, I I wouldn't say it's it's definitively you know. Go, only going to be Everton. I think Southampton going to make it interesting, but Me just too. the the yeah. experience that a lot of those Everton Everton players have, um, specifically like Hamez yep. in other leagues, uh, I think that's just it, it's it's you you can't not you can't bet against it really. Yeah, it's okay. just yeah. You know. I mean that's that's uh you know that that that's the probably the safe pick, but yeah. Um, I you know Villa has a lot of firepower. Yes, they do, sure. and and no one is sleeping on Villa. I don't think. Anyone who actually knows football and has watched the Premier League this year knows that Villa are capable of a lot more than than the casual fan might expect. Yeah, no, for sure, a- absolutely. And the Premier League this season, the table is just so packed. Yeah. So it's, it's you know you can't sleep on any of these teams in a game or two. Everything completely flips around. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the table right now, I mean, this is ridiculous. Uh, Liverpool's attack reemerges versus Spurs ahead of crucial stretch is the headline for the game today. And I'm just like, dude, it's one game. It's it's one game. No yes, game. they scored three goals. Yes, but it's one game. Uh, no, I was really going here to look at the, the difference between one and ten. Uh, Twelve points separates one and ten. Yeah, it's nothing. I mean, that's, yeah. that's and crazy. Compared to, compared to City, Villa have a game in hand. So realistically, if they win that game, it's nine points between... Yeah. Uh, well, I guess Arsenal, they have a game in hand over Arsenal. So right now, as it is, 11, 12 points between 10 and 1. So yeah. for context, let's go to uh, a random league in Europe. Let's try Serie A. 
Serie okay. A. Let's look at the table in Serie A, shall we? Table Here's in Serie A. 20 teams, 1 in 10, 17. Okay, yeah. So no, that's, that's fair. It's it's a it's a pretty big chunk. Okay. How about uh how about Spain? Let's look at La Liga. La Liga. Yeah. The difference between uh one and ten. It's probably teams. startling between Atletico and tenth place. Twenty three. Yeah, it's that's crazy. And compared to Celta Vigo, who's in tenth, Atletico had two games in hand. Yeah, it's it's okay, so twenty nine. <laughs> and let's go to the league where we know there's no parity. The Bundesliga. <laughs> yeah. Nah, there's still more parity in the Bundesliga than there is. More parity in the Bundesliga than there is in France. But the difference between Bayern Munich and the rest of the pack, there's only 18 teams in the, 18 teams in the Bundesliga, but 10 and 18, uh, sorry, between 1 and 9, Freiburg and Bayern is tw- uh, 15 points. So it's a little closer, but it's still, there's fewer teams. 1 and 10 is 20 in, uh, in the Bundesliga. One and nine is 15. So that's the difference because it's, you know, fewer teams. Uh, last of the big five. Let's go to France. Just, just you know, for consistency. Yeah. Let's, look at, uh, let's look at the French League, shall we? Okay. PSG in first. No surprise there. Uh, tenth. Difference is 15 points. So again, yeah. there's this consistent trend of one... Through ten, at least this year so far. I mean, last year was an aberration, of course, and then the year before we had a title race, title race unlike any other with Man City and Liverpool. There's not a lot of distance between first and and tenth, middle. So just think about the difference between first and say sixth. It it, mm-hmm. it can change. It changes on a daily basis. Every single every single day, there's a, every single match week, there's going to be a change. At least at least one, and that's what makes this league so great. Period. No ifs, ands, yeah. or buts. Absolutely, on. I completely agree. Yeah. There's so much more power. on any given day. Anyone can win. Yep. And yep. The matches are, for the most part, very even. Yes. You know? That's why we like the NFL. That's why we like the Premier League. That's just the way it is. Any given Sunday, any given match. Yeah, and I think I I, I will just say this right. Like, I really think that even when you see in the pandemic, the all of the money that the Premier League has makes it that way. I mean, in terms of, yes, yeah, some people say, well, sure, the big clubs can spend so much more, but all the clubs have a big cushion, right? It's like you see some of these, like, uh, you see uh, Schalke, for example. Mm-hmm. Schalke is, like, on the brink of financial ruin just because of a pandemic. And so it goes to show that, for the most part, the Premier League clubs can still compete. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. So I, I think that's a, just a point we have to mention. No, of course. It's the money in England that goes into it. It's just people are so football crazy in, in England that it yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, will. exactly. And they love it in Germany, too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's this it's the number one sport in the world for a reason. But in England, it's just everything is just so much more accentuated for, for whatever reason. Yeah. So. No, for sure. But for a lot sure. a lot to think about with the Premier League and, and the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday as well and a lot of free agency. But we can't end a show without our hot takes just you yeah. just can't it'd be against it'd be sacrilegious to to record an episode of hot takes only let alone episode 30 without hot takes so yeah willie uh i got two really quick takes for you and and then i'll let you go these are these are really really easy takes nothing nothing groundbreaking um and they're they're probably not that far to left field but 
Okay. Uh, number one is in the NBA. Uh, the most disappointing team this year of any team with any roster whatsoever across all teams in the NBA. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets. They're going to be the most disappointing team this year because of all the talent they have with the promise they have uh, even going into the season before the James Harden trade with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant playing together. Adding James Harden to that mix, and yes, he's he's become a better passer and, and uh, if, didn't he win an assist title last year or the year before or had a, a ton of assists? Um, a couple years ago, yeah. With, with guys like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, it's not going to be the, much of the same. Yeah. Because I, yeah. all three of those guys, if you think about it, left one of the teams they were on at one point in their career to go somewhere else and become the guy. Mm-hmm. Why did Kevin Durant leave OKC? Well, he wanted to win a title. Okay, why do you <laughs> yeah, live why do you yeah. live uh why do you live Golden State? Because mm-hmm. you wanted to be the guy somewhere. Why did Kyrie yeah. Irving leave Cleveland? Because he wanted to get out of LeBron's shadow. Yeah. Did that work out? No. Why did James Why did James Harden leave that team with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook? Because he wanted to be the guy. These are three guys who who want to be the the main man on their team. And if the Atlanta Hawks can take you to overtime and make you play your very best just to get a win, yeah, uh, I, I got news for you. Not as good as you think you are. So I I could be wrong. I very well no, could be. They I could, mean, I think that's uh. They could win the East. Who knows? Look, there's a, there's, it could really go either way. But I, there's absolutely, you're absolutely right on when you factor in. There, there is a lot of holes on the team when you factor in. They've really struggled on defense. They don't have any size, and you, like you talk about the, you know, they're gonna have to figure out the offense. And so, when you when you watch them play, you know, they, there is definitely the possibility that. This team, as it's currently constructed, without the ability to sign free agents or really mm-hmm. to make any trades, um, is really hamstrung and doesn't have what it takes. Yep. So we'll we'll see for sure. It could definitely happen. Right. And I don't watch enough basketball right now to make that much of an educated educated decision. But from what I've seen, it doesn't look amazing for the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. Right. Right now, it's been good, not great. But it's it's early in the season. They just started playing together, so we'll we'll see. Yeah, what they've happens. only had you know a handful of games. So yeah. Uh, my other take is this: it's not. Honestly, that's surprising. Uh, we've hyped up these two teams a lot. But ultimately, you know, there's a reason the Dodgers are defending champions. And there's a reason that uh, the Yankees have been in the ALCS uh, yeah. as recently as they have, with as early as they have, and really the reason they've had the success they've had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the teams that are going to make it to the World Series... Uh, is it going to be the San Diego Padres against the Toronto Blue Jays in the World Series? No. Neither one of those teams are going to make the World Series. And I'd like that to be the World Series matchup because it'd be a lot of fun. But realistically, I don't think either one of those teams get past the divisional round. Really? Yeah. I think they still lose in the divisional round. But that's not because they're not good enough. It's because the teams they're going to play are that much well, better. Well, tell me, tell, me, uh, tell me why. Well, that's because... Toronto is going to end up playing New York in the divisional round. Mm, okay. And San Diego is going to end up playing the Dodgers in the divisional round. Okay. And wow. those yeah. two teams right now, as, as the rosters currently stand, are the two boogeymen 
for any team in the American International League. In the NL, it's, of course, the defending champion Dodgers. In the AL, it's got to be the Yankees. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any wow. team any team in the American League who can really compete with the consistency the Yankees have had over the last three, four seasons. Uh, the Dodgers are world champion or defending champions, and they're gonna they haven't they they're only gonna get better. You know, Andrew Friedman's only gonna make another move in the off season. It's just mm-hmm. it'd just be unlike him to to make to not make a move like that. And they're gonna win the division. The Yankees are gonna win the division, and they're gonna play against they're gonna play against uh, Toronto and San Diego respectively in that first round. Uh, and. I, it it'll be a fun series, sure, but it, it it'll end up they'll end up coming up short. But that's not to say the season won't be fun. I mean, San Diego's going to hit so many home runs this year, and they're gonna they're gonna pitch lights out. Uh, Toronto is just going to tear the cover off the ball and just be so much mm-hmm. fun to watch with all the young players. Yeah. But ultimately, again, like we've been saying, ball don't lie. Yeah. Um. That's a really interesting point, Owen. I mean, I can't wait to obviously for baseball to get back. And uh, I will say there's, look, it's, <laughs> there's a lot of good teams. And yeah. so when you, uh, you know, last year with the expanded format and stuff, I think we do have to remember when the expanded format came in, right? Yeah. Uh, maybe we had a little bit of a false sense of security. Like you saw yeah. Toronto get in there, you know? Um, and so it's like, well, that that's a team that wouldn't have been in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, you just, you kind of see it's like, well, it's a lot harder when it's uh, normal, normal, yeah. uh, and everything. So, and a full 162 game yeah. season. Well, but both those teams upgraded significantly, and just getting a taste of postseason action, regardless of what form it comes in, I think can be invaluable, especially with yeah. the Blue Jays. So, Absol- watch oh. out, watch out for how they play the regular season, but in the postseason, ball don't. I mean, just generally, ball don't lie. So, it, you know, I want it to be fun, but ultimately, we'll see. Okay, that's all right. Over okay. to you, my guy. What do you got for us? All right, I got a couple. So the first one is I'm going to go back to uh, to baseball. Um, there should be my take is there should be no one that cheats and is excluded from the Hall of Fame, and I'll tell you why. Unless you don't think they're good enough. Wow. No, tell me more. Tell me more. The reality is because I don't want a double standard. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that, there's, first of all, there are lots of people in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. There's two reasons. That on a human level were really bad people and are in the Hall of Fame. Yep. This is just the game, first of all. So yep. Yep. Um, we should remember that. And secondly, there's just too much unknown on in the steroid era. Yep. And yep. so... I just think that the bottom line is it goes both ways. You either let none, nobody in and you kick some people that are already in the Hall of Fame out. You know, Rogers Hornsby, Ty Cobb, Cap, Kip, Cap Anson, you know, et cetera. Yep. Um, or you, you let everyone in. And I just think they should let everyone in. So, you know. Yeah. You know, Pete Rose, A-Rod, Barry Bonds. Kurt Schilling. Well, go ahead. Okay, so 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 I don't I don't disagree with uh, with with what you mentioned so far, but I, I will say Pete Rose's exclusion is is it's yeah. not really based on anything he did while he was a player that would warrant a Hall mm-hmm. of Fame discussion. As a player, he's a no brainer Hall of Famer. Right. 
but it's just his his actions as a manager well, is cares? what there excludes are people, him. No, that's what I'm saying. I I don't are, think it should matter. I think yeah, it's just, just baseball being just a bunch of you know hoity-toity old white guys. And honestly, like you know, it if it was anyone from the modern game overseeing who gets in the Hall of Fame, Pete Rose would be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Dude, dude was a straight up gamer. He did what he did. Most he has the hit record that's not going to be touched ever. So you know, let the man in the Hall of Fame. As for yeah. as for the rest of the guys, I don't disagree necessarily, but I think it's tough because you can't extract who they were as players from the fact that they were steroid users. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like you're saying, it's that uncertainty that's already affected voters to the point where it's like, well, you know, they had Hall of Fame caliber careers, but. You know, it's it's that butt that stops people. If you could eliminate that, then yeah, they'd be Hall of Famers, no question. But you just can't, um, you you just can't really, you know, extract what you want to be the case from what is actually the case. Yeah. But that said, I don't completely disagree. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I I agree with all everything you 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 said. I can I can totally see that. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can't extrapolate from that though. That, no. that that's true. Yeah. yeah, very true. Um, but let me ask you this follow-up, I guess, question: Like, do you think that? Do you think that? Like, also, I mean, are there even players you could definitively say that, like, these players, like, if they didn't take steroids, would be bad? You know, like. No, I don't think you can definitively say that at all because what what steroids help you do, and I think this is the misconception a lot of folks have, is steroids don't automatically make you just gigantic. I mean, yes, they have side effects that affect other parts of your body, but the main point of a steroid is to help you recover more efficiently from when you train. So you mm-hmm. still have to put in the work. Steroids just makes it easier to put in more work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it makes it easier to get bigger. It makes it easier to get stronger. Um, does that mean that you still have to be a good hitter? Yes. You still have to be able to put the bat on the ball when something mm-hmm. is coming at you that you don't, you don't know what it is. I mean, there's a reason people still feared Barry Bonds as a hitter, not because he was just a massive guy, but because he's a very smart hitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, what it, it, I'd be curious to know what his chase rate was. At, you know, in his prime, if they even if they even track that. No, it was. I mean, not very high. And, and how many times did he walk in his career? It's it's ridiculous. So you know, when I was a younger, I, I used to look up to Barry Bonds because you know, not only was he the best, but he he just seemed to have the complete package. And then I found out he did steroids from a young age, and I was like, oh man, I don't really like him anymore. But now that I've gotten older, you kind of realize that as cynical as it is, life is just a big situation of people cheating to get the edge over each other, and. Whether or not you want to admit it, that's the case. And he he did what anyone else would do in his position, in a position to make millions of dollars uh, in your profession. You know, you're probably going to look for every competitive advantage. And whether or not it's legal is not really something you factor in 99% of the time. Yeah. No, that's... So is he a Hall of Famer? Yeah. Probably. Yep. Yeah. I, I think he should be. No, you're, I you're think right. He, I, I didn't think he would be when I was younger, even pretty recently. But... The more you think about it, the more it's like, well, it, it's not really him deciding to be a bad person. It's him just trying to be the best. 
and sometimes you know you can you can talk about the morality of it you can talk about the ethics of it all you want but realistically if you try to be fair in an unfair world you're putting yourself at a at a disadvantage excuse me yeah yeah no i i completely agree with you so i completely agree all right i got one more tick yeah what do you got for us all right owen are you ready for this one? Oh my god unleash the take um your boy uh matt ryan will win a super bowl with someone else don't say kyle shanahan don't say kyle shanahan well i mean that would just be the cherry on top no the reason is because the reason is because i mean sure that's part of it yeah there are a few of the teams that are you know I would anticipate, well, we don't know for sure that the Falcons will move on from Matt Ryan and try to trade him. Yeah. And draft a quarterback with their fourth pick this year. Justin Fields. What? Uh, or Zach. <laughs> yeah. They could go Zach Wilson. I hope they draft Justin Fields. I think he's going to be better. Yeah. But, um, you know, the reality is, like you said, I mean, you know, Matt Stafford's on the market too, but there, there are a few trade destinations which – if he were to go, I think give him a great team. And you look at, um, look at for example, like definitely for sure, who the 49ers, I think they had so many injuries and they're so loaded. Like they would be arguably in the Super Bowl again this year. So sure, if he goes there, absolutely. But even the other teams, I mean, well, New Orleans, that's a pretty logical option. I mean, they, they, they have some cap problems. But I think that if San Francisco wants Stafford, that would be a make sense. But, you know, I don't, I, I think as well, if you look at a team like the Washington football team with the great defense or the Patriots, I think the Patriots are in the market for a quarterback. That's obviously a great organization. And so even, even the Pittsburgh Steelers down the road, one, one year. So I just think that there's a handful of teams that are really good organizations that, We'll give Matt Ryan a shot, whether it's this year or next year, and you know I think he'll do it. Uh, I I don't know I don't know if I want to comment on on this take. Um, I've made my feelings about Matt Ryan pretty clear on the show. I feel like you know we've talked about the Falcons specifically, but Atlanta sports enough to know that you know there are players on Atlanta sports teams that deserve to win championships and are probably going to win championships outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. It's just that's just the way it is. And, you know, I'm personally starting to come to peace with starting to come to terms with that fact that Atlanta is not a title town, nor will it ever be. Um, you know, even though the players play in Atlanta and we ride on them things like every day. Um, no, realistically, I, I just don't I don't have any reason for optimism for Atlanta. I want to see Matt Ryan and Julio Jones succeed because of what they've what they brought the city of Atlanta specifically the Falcons. And, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. I, I don't think it'll personally happen, but I, I wouldn't be shocked. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're right, Owen. These guys are great players, and these are the kind of players that could go on after they're done with the team and have great careers elsewhere. They have football left in them. And, you know, I think that the reality, unfortunately, Owen, is that the majority of quarterbacks, you know, 
outside really the top five quarterbacks, you know, need good position, you know, good players around them and a good system around them. And you can win with them. Yep. And Matt Ryan's one of those guys. You know, he's someone probably in the 10 to 15 tier that you can definitely win with if the pieces are around him. And so I think that it just makes sense. There will be teams that, that take on him. And it's just at this point, right, it's pretty much mm-hmm. who can get past Mahomes. Yep. Either in the Super Bowl or the conference championship. And so yeah, we'll, you know, we'll we'll see. Yeah. But that's um I would love to see it. Right. I mean, well, the other thing is, you know, you know, he's certainly he's certainly capable of leading a team to the Super Bowl. I mean, he was he yeah. was literally Kyle Shanahan decided to not run the football away from winning the Super Bowl. I, I still won't was forgive. Was that relationship strained? No, no, not really. It was Kyle Shanahan just being a dick. Okay. Just deciding to not use the most lethal running back combination in the NFL that entire season. Just not using them in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl with a 25-point lead against Tom Brady and Bill and Belichick. And Holy and shit! It. And then uh, doing it again. In the <sighs> what is wrong with that dude? He's so arrogant. Ah, it drives me insane. He did it again. Ah! Yeah, I know. I know. Well, uh. it'd be too good, bro. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to explode about Kyle Shanahan like that, but you, well, you know I how I feel wait, about that dude. I can't wait for the memes when he goes to San Francisco. Uh, well, if if San Francisco goes back to the Super Bowl under Kyle Shanahan, I hope I hope they choke a bigger lead away, just so Kyle Shanahan will learn <laughs> that you don't mess with the city of Atlanta and get away with it. You take whatever <laughs> curse we have with you. Yeah. Well. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great, that's a great point, Owen. That's a great point, bro. Uh, I'm still haunted by the Super Bowl, Willie. I'm still haunted to yeah. this day. <laughs> to this day. Yeah. That was almost four years ago. I'm sorry, bro. That loss from that will live in. I will live with that my entire life. Because of Kyle and Shanahan. let's be honest, they'll probably never win a Super Bowl in your lifetime. No. No, I, I, I've resigned to the fact that no Atlanta sports team is going to win a title. Well, none of the big three. Atlanta United doesn't count because they're an expansion team and they had a lot of money and they actually cared about it and they got a good head coach. And the MLS is a Mickey Mouse yeah. league, so it's fine. Yeah, sure. Ugh. Yeah, well, and that's the nice thing, man. It's a game, but, I mean, it's just nice to remember those moments when they win. So I, I yeah. do hope they win a title, but you never know, man. Like, you look at Cleveland. Cleveland won their title, and so could happen. Yeah, that's true. Well, Cleveland also didn't have the lead. They were coming from behind. Atlanta isn't good at that. They're not good at coming from behind or playing from the front. They're they're really bad at both. Yeah, I mean, maybe if the Hawks had drafted Luka Doncic. Ah! <laughs> Twist the knife, why don't you? The second coming of LeBron, man. Uh, no, not, not the second, not not as good, but I mean, man, damn. he's the force to be reckoned with. Folks, Willie really wore. He really woke up this morning and chose violence. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry, I'm yeah. No, I was talking about this with my roommate yesterday. Uh, the Hawks really could have had Luka Doncic. They really could have had Luka Doncic, and they went with Trey Young instead because Warriors 2.0. Am I right? <laughs> Uh no, no. I it, it, it's not uh, as bad as the Sacramento Kings though. I mean they 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 did the worst. They drafted, like you said, they drafted Marvin Bagley ahead of Luka Doncic and Trey Young and Jaron Jackson Jr. And Marvin Bagley is not that great an NBA player. Yeah. Well so, it, 
any team who passed on Luca right now looks like the dumbest franchise in in sports. So it was so obvious too, bro. Yeah, like, he was it's so like good. he was the most polished at nineteen. He's gonna yeah. be a star. Absolutely. <laughs> but oh, absolutely. Any, anyways, folks, uh, I think I, I'm gonna go dig myself a hole and cry in that hole until Atlanta wins a championship. <laughs> so basically, never. Um, no, but you know, this is, this is all good fun and, and we're, we're thankful for, uh, you know, the, the opportunities we have to, to talk sports and, and things like that. So any, uh, any parting thoughts before we get out of here, Willie? No, 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 I got nothing. Well, I, I appreciate you being so candid about, uh, cranky Frankie Lampard, if you will. And his, his all too short stint as, uh, as Chelsea manager, that's really the, the, part of the episode we were hot we were hyping up the most coming into coming into the yeah. nice recording so hope you enjoyed that little bit where we uh dissect all the things that went around not only in the premier league at, at chelsea football club but around the world uh be sure to tune in next week we'll have a super bowl preview for you uh same time same place uh episode dropping 7 a.m pacific time on friday uh be sure to uh be sure to tune in for that before super bowl 55 so for willie my name's Owen. This has been Hot Takes Only, episode 30. We'll see you next time.